Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I welcome September with a very nearly two-and-a-half-hour episode covering old comics, recent news, new comics, and even old news. In the wake of the passing of both Marie Severin and Gary Friedrich, we discuss their comics and their careers, and we also talk about the new milkshake duck of the comics industry, as well as covering Comicsgate itself, and comics ranging from recent issues of Daredevil by Charles Sewell and Ron Gonry to very old issues of Master of Kung Fu by Doug Mensch, Paul Galassi, Jim Craig, and Mike Zeck, along with our usual bag of much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, how are you? Oh, you know, little ups, little downs, little crazy interchanges between the ups and downs, you know. Oh, that's... Good. I mean, I guess if it's ups and downs, it's okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God. That's that's always a good sign. I guess it's okay. And you're like, sure. I just one of those like super fast shures where you're like, that's not sure at all. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Everything. Sure. Everything's great. What are you talking about? Yeah. Everything's fine, Graham. Let's get talking about comics. Let's get talking about comics. No. 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 So. Um. So yeah. No. 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 How are you? You must have stories to tell. You know. I have. I have. Do I have stories to tell? I. I've. I've lots of stories I can't tell, which is. A really annoying thing. Uh, okay. Thinking, Brian, because you know, it's like you go back over, like, what have we been reading over the last couple of weeks? And honest to God, Jeff, I've read lots of things this week I can't even say I've read. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. We had like two weeks off, and some of it's been uh, kind of crazy two weeks at work, and some of it's been other stuff, but I'm really like, oh, sweet Jesus, like, what are we going to no, talk about? Yeah. But what I mean is, like, I've read stuff for work that I'm announcing for work. Oh, I but see. But I can't say that I've I've read it even. Uh... Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, really that's the opposite of my problem, yes. There's a couple of things where I'm like, Jeff, I'd love to talk to you about, but I actually can't. Like, wow. I legitimately can't, because, like, I've embargoed myself. Wow. Because, <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it's, it's for something that won't be, that won't come out until, actually, a week after this podcast, even. Wow, really? And it's just like, yeah, I'd like, I'd love to talk to you about this thing that, like, I really would love to talk to you about, but, but I can't. <laughs> I, you know? yeah. I also have the, yeah, what have I been reading a, a lot as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. That's, that's very kind of you to throw me the bone there, Graham. That's no, okay. no, 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 but that's, that's the other, that's the flip side of it. Like, if, if the problem is the things I remember are the things I can't talk about, but I know I've read other things. Yeah, you've read other things. Like, I can, I can think of a few things I've read. Yeah, but yeah, there we go. Really dramatically stands out, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and comics news is kind of, is there, is there stuff, I mean, there is stuff going on there, I guess? There, there's, a, there's a bunch, I mean, there's a bunch and none of it's good. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, no, I know. For example, yeah. you know, Gary Friedrich and Marie Severin dying. Yeah. And on the same day, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, is is tragic, but also what can we really say? Actually that's not true. I wanted to ask you about Gary Friedrich. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it struck me if anyone I knew could really talk about Gary Friedrich, it's probably you. Well, you know, that's that's very kind of you. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if that is mostly true, but I will I will talk about it just a little bit 
uh, in that, um, uh, I feel like a lot of people, uh, ended up like faving the tweet where I just sort of talked like, you know, in 280 characters about the guy, which is, um, Friedrich was a buddy of Roy Thomas. I think they grew up as comic they book were fans. Friends, yeah, yeah, right. In the same neck of the woods in Missouri, I think. And, um, you know, uh, so Thomas, uh, my understanding is helped, uh, Friedrich get his, his, his break. Um, and Friedrich was not, is, is ostensibly as far as I can tell, by and large was not like a, a straight superhero dude. You know, he did, Jesus, what combat Kelly and his Rough Riders or his Leatherneck yeah, Riders or he, whatever. He did, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but even before that, so he got his start at Carlton. Mm hmm. Uh, Thomas didn't, interestingly enough, Thomas didn't recommend him for Marvel. Thomas recommended him to take Giordano and Carlton. Oh. And he did a bunch of romance comics, Carlton. And then, fascinatingly enough, he scripted the first Blue Beetle stories oh, for Ditko. Wow. Oh. Which is, which is super weird, right? It is very odd. It, it's, yeah. it's such an odd thing. Yeah. And then he went to Marvel and he did, he did like a lot of westerns, lots of war comics to begin with. Western and war comics and then the, the reason why I think there's always going to be at least a little bit of a space in my heart for him is he ended up doing, co-creating, uh, Ghost Rider, uh, the, the motorcycle riding incarnation and Son of Satan. Uh, you know, he scripted their original series. Uh, and then later was one of the writers who tried to, uh, take it, you know, there's the copyright reversion law that opens up after a certain number of years. He actually filed suit to get ownership of Ghost Rider back. And, uh, that, you know, continued to persist in that, um, and, uh, more or less lost most of the suits until um, uh, a higher appeals court overturned the earlier decision. Uh, so that was like, I want to say like he started trying and because of course this is all on Wikipedia that I'm barely remembering. Like around 2011, I think is when he might have sued. Um, he, oh no, it was, it was, it was way before that. 2011, I want to say was the settlement. Oh, you're right. 2011 was a settlement and then it got the, uh, What's 2011 the settlement? Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. I, I I might be wrong, but I want to say his first suit was something like 2007. Yeah, that that actually does make sense. Uh, and um, you know, which was an incredibly sort of brave thing to do. Uh, and let's see, Gary Friedrich. Oh. Pump this up yeah, two, 2000, um, yeah, I'm looking at Wikipedia. 2007, mm-hmm. he filed a lawsuit against Marvel, Sony, Columbia TriStar, Relativity Media, Crystal Psychic Pictures, Magdalena Productions, Hasbro, and Take-Two Interactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, basically saying that he, interestingly enough, that yeah, his copyrights have been used without permission, mm-hmm. and that he already owned the film rights and merchandising rights of the character, and had done since 20, uh, 2001 because they'd reverted to him. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so concluded 2011 with Marvel winning. Mm-hmm. And then 2013, there you go. Yeah, 2013. Uh, that was overturned in appeals, and then later that year, Marvel settled with Friedrich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the timeline. Yeah. So it, it was, it, it was, it, that was pretty, pretty daring. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got it. To, so, and, and then finally the, to me, the big piece of the puzzle, the part where it really comes together is, 
uh, you and I, as you know, as listeners of the podcast know, both of us have a, a love for the Tomorrow's books and the various extended interviews that they do, although I'm way, way far behind. But Comic Book Artist did an interview with Friedrich back in, must have been around the time that the suit was, was coming up or right before. And it was a really long interview. And one of the things that really struck me was Friedrich talked very candidly about his alcoholism and that, uh, you know, sort of after breaking in at Marvel and writing the books, he was, you know, as he described it, more or less just all but riding the rails was sort of mm-hmm. wandering around America and mailing in his scripts, spending all of the money on booze. He had had a child. I don't remember if it was from a previous marriage or out of wedlock, but a child with uh, special needs, I think. Of, of some kind, I don't remember if it was like mild Down syndrome or whatever, but uh, he sort of talks about uh, essentially his sort of the moment where he got sober was or where he realized that he had sort of bottomed out was um, he was with his with his daughter one night and uh, I think it was New Year's night in 1979. And just talked very simply about being with his daughter and her her telling him that she loved him and 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 it's interesting in the article he doesn't he really talks about a he says that and then he he more or less talks about how much it he's like you just can't explain what that does to you but there was something about the way that he said it it's sort of more or less continued to haunt me that a guy who realized in, in my head it's a guy who has realized that there is somebody who is loving him unconditionally uh, mm-hmm. and that is what turns him around that he, mm-hmm. he cleans up to, to be a better dad is incredible incredibly moving to me and i think it's it's also interesting in a way that you know although he doesn't he just ref- talks to himself talks about himself as a as an alcoholic you know at the time but i feel like considering the way in which there's a lot of um you know i, I think it's not much of a stretch to say that the the marvel um uh, template in the late 60s, early 70s is like, you know, unhealthy doses of self-pity, you know. But there's yeah. a lot of self-loathing in the Ghost Rider character and actually in Damon Hellstrom. Uh, and and Ghost Rider himself ends up living a peripatetic existence uh, while Friedrich's writing him. And then once Friedrich leaves even more so uh, under Fleischer. And I, I always found that, to me, incredibly evocative, the idea that, you know, basically a, a guy who, you know, sells his soul to the de- devil, loses his soul to the devil for, like, no good reason and more or less becomes, like, a carny roustabout wandering the American, you know, Southwest, uh, is the character that's written by a guy who, you know, for whatever his demons are, is having him like, you know, travel through America, hiding from his his family legacy and himself until he finally can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always found that incredibly moving about him. 
it's kind of fascinating to me that you say that happens in New Year's uh, 1979. Do you mean 78 going into 79? Because he left comics in 78. Uh, maybe it is 78 then. I don't. Because that's that's the interesting. Like I wonder if mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a, a you know a, a better way to say like he realized he had to straighten up and so he got out of comics. Right. Which sounds like maybe overly comedic, but. But I do wonder if, like, comics for him was essentially like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll do this until, like, I have to get a real job. Well, it makes sense. I, and then, yeah, you know, he had this moment of clarity, and he's like, I have to get a real job. Right. You know, like, I th- this is this is not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, until until the the royalty system starts to emerge from DC and Marvel in the early '80s, and people start begin making, oh, you know decent living money before that they just did not live well and everyone was more or less okay with that you know what i mean like, yeah they weren't... and it's, it's it's not like friedrich was was such a prolific writer that he really could have been making that much money no exactly i mean i think that he was basically making hobo money you know and at it, a certain it's point he so realized he couldn't do it yeah one of the things so i i obviously had to write the obituary for for thr mm. um and I didn't, I, I, like, I knew this, obviously, because I'd read the comics, but it didn't occur to me. He wrote, like, the majority of the Captain Britain Weekly. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. He basically take over uh, after, after Claremont. Interesting. That sort of makes sense, because, like, there was a little bit of the, you know, when you say left comics at, at like, 78, at the end of 78, I'm like, yeah, God, like, what the like, hell was he doing? Like, you know uh, what he, I mean? He apparently did a bunch of stuff for Atlas, mm. starting, like, 75. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. He also, fascinatingly enough, wrote uh, for the Skywald magazines, which I, I don't really know, but I believe this is a thing, uh, wrote Hellrider, who was a motorcyclist with a flamethrower-equipped bike the wow. year before Ghost Rider. Yeah. Also, talking about Ghost Rider, do you know he invent he co-created both Ghost Riders? I didn't realize he did the Western one as well as the motorcycle yeah, one. Yeah, he and Roy Thomas and, and I, whoever drew Gilkane maybe uh, co-created the Western one, and then he went on with again Roy Thomas, I think, yes. to co-create the the motorcycle one. Yeah, with uh, Thomas and Mike Plug, and it is tough. I have to say, like the thing is, is that despite being tremendously moved by Friedrich's story and his sort of his existence in the industry. I was never that much of a a huge fan. Like I said, the characters I, I, I was into. I always, but... Yeah, I always thought you would have had this fondness for him yeah. because he co-created not just uh, Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. but Son of Satan. Yeah, Do you well, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it, yeah. They both seem like characters that are so in your wheelhouse. Yeah. That, yeah. that it was like, oh, sure, like, uh, uh, Jeff's going to like this guy. Yeah, and I mean, and how do I put it? I I do. You're like, I don't dislike him. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean, it's this weird thing of, like, I'm very fond of what he created, but, like, the scripts that he was doing for those, or he had some, I can't remember if it was him or Mike Friedrich that was, like, writing some of the Nick Fury stuff after Starenko left, but, I mean, it was... It was pretty slapdash. It was pretty by the numbers. It doesn't necessarily surprise me that he wasn't super inspired by, you know, like he was just kind of like the idea that he was writing for drinking money doesn't necessarily seem um, 
impossible to me. You know, mm-hmm. and also when he's pushing for creation of the of Ghost Rider, uh, it it certainly makes sense, especially talking about his other previous creations and things. But you know, it it also part of me is like Mike Plug is such an important part, and Thomas Roy Thomas had mentioned you know Thomas had a very strong part in. Uh, hammering the stuff out too like it, it was one of those areas where it was like Ghost Rider is one of those characters that's a little bit of a, a of a many parent kind yeah, of thing yeah it's, it's like Venom yeah you know like right. who created Venom right is, is, is actually a super tricky concept mm-hmm. that's actually a great comparison yeah you know so yeah it's just all that stuff of like you know, when you hear about the way that the stories go, where it was like, yeah, you know, they came up with the idea, then, you know, you have John Romita design it, you know, then you have Mike Plug do a pass on it, and actually, I don't think that Romita was involved in there. I'm just sort of talking about yeah, I, I, a I lot think, of the 70s I think, characters. I think it is just Plug, yeah. Yeah, it's just Plug. I, I think Plug's the only one. Yeah. But it, but no, it's true. And also, when you then factor in that Thomas and, and Friedrich had also done the earlier Ghost Rider. Yeah, right. So you, you know, it starts yeah. like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very. It's so in that sense, very strange. But also, I I didn't know until uh, writing the victory, the son of Satan actually appeared in Ghost Rider Shoe One. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, as someone who who hasn't read this stuff really. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. It, I think he appears in there as like an exorcist, uh, and then it moves. I don't remember if it like moves into the son of Satan stuff in Marvel Spotlight, or Mar- it goes from Marvel Spotlight to Ghost Rider One to maybe Marvel Spotlight and back to Ghost Rider 2. So yeah, and and honestly, some of the the some of the ghost the son of Satan stuff again. That origin is fabulous, but of course part of me is also like, but it's Herb Trimpey too. Like Herb Trimpey brings so much to that, you know. So it's 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 strange. It's a it's a it's a strange legacy. Um I'm just glad in a way that it's not quite as it's 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 bittersweet, like and ten, mm-hmm. maybe tending more toward the bitter. I don't really know how he felt so, about his life. You know? Yeah, it's so he leaves comics. This is really interesting. He leaves comics in seventy eight, but he comes back once mm-hmm. to script a Roy Thomas plotted issue, or maybe Kirby plot. No, I think it was Thomas plotted issue of Bombast, which was a Kirby creation that Tops did. As part of their Kirbyverse. Do you remember the wow, Tops yeah, Kirbyverse, yeah. In 1993. And that's Friedrich's only other comics credit. Wow. It's his only comics credit post 78. Wow. Um, and it's super, like, I, and also, that, like, that was drawn by Dick Ayers and John Severin, who Friedrich worked with in Sergeant Fury. Right. It's just, it's so, like, I'd love to know the story around that return as well yeah right you know what i mean especially because mm-hmm. thomas basically got him into comics right yeah yeah yeah. wow yeah, yeah that would be fascinating it's, it's super i i to be honest if thomas has not covered this initiative of alter ego i'll be very surprised if he doesn't right uh now post post friedrich's death yeah but it, it was uh it, it's discovering that was so strange and also I, I think I might have said this before like the Kirbyverse stuff from Tops fascinates me mm-hmm. because I remember it happening but I didn't read it 
Right. I know what you mean. I you know? know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, but you look, you look back and it's, it's Thomas and Dicko and Friedrich and Dick Ayers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like the creative team was absolutely insane for 1993. Yeah. And the one I did read was Satan Six, which is Tony Isabella and some guy who clearly loved, uh, like Tom McFarlane. Mm. But did not have the skills of Todd McFarlane, <laughs> and, and as a result, I and I again, it's been you know literally twenty five years since I read it, mm-hmm. but I remember it being like one of the ugliest comics I'd ever read in my life. <laughs> I, I, I'm not exaggerating. No, it I believe just, it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was appallingly poorly done, yeah. but at such odds with everything else in this line, which is so retro, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And also in the first issue, they had Kirby pages. Oh, really? Pages from Kirby's original pitch that were re-dialogued by, by Isabella and mixed in with this guy who's doing like really like bad sub McFarlane. Ooh, wow. And it, like the mismatch was astounding. Yeah. But like, uh, Kurt Music and, and James Fry did, did Silver Star for that line. Mm. Uh, Giffen did like one issue of a Captain Glory reboot, maybe? Wow. Um, because it like it, it it got cancelled super quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but there's like one of these days I'm gonna start hunting this stuff down. You know, because it's 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 one of those like well it's Kirby and also it's weird sort of 1990s failure comics. <laughs> <laughs> Two of my obsessions. <laughs> Did I tell you about when I hunted down and I don't even have them anymore? I, I ended up giving them to like Goodwill or something after I read them. But I hunted down an entire run of Engelhart's The Strangers from Malibu. Oh, really? Well, it's because I don't know where I got this into my head. I don't think anyone has ever said anything to this, to this purpose. But I got it in my head that it was basically what he wanted to do with New Guardians, but he left New Guardians. Mm-hmm. And having read it, I really don't think it is. Mm. But... I was like, I, I love Engelhart. I love Engelhart, like, especially, you know, late Engelhart when mm-hmm. he started to go weird. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this will be great. And it is, it's a fucking mess, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly like someone went, Steve, we want you to come up with like a hip young team for a new line. We like what you're doing with New Guardians, but could you, I pretty much get rid of all the stuff about racial and and racial diversity, uh, and could you bring in some of the like creepy sex theories you had from your Green Lantern oh, run? Man, yeah, people so, were like, like I love the creepy sex theories. Yeah, one of the characters is literally a sex bot who achieves independence. Oh my god! And and she's you know she wanted to try and say take like. Barely wearing any clothes, first of all. Having, you know, male characters do the Steve Englehart thought balloons is like, wow, I really want to get with her. And she will, she'll have a dialogue, which is more or less her being like, I've been programmed for sex and you look pretty great, mister. <laughs> and you're just like, this is astounding and, and offensive. I don't know what I'm reading. This is amazing. Uh, the, this, the, the setup of the series you will appreciate Engelhart sits in San Francisco and the heroes and villains of the series are all in a trolley car that gets hit by lightning oh I think you had said this before yeah superpowers as a result 
Is it just lightning? It's not like a mysterious... No, there's some, like, you know, because it's part of the Ultraverse. Right. And so there's some, like, Ultraverse-linked... Got it. ...you know, thing. But ultimately, it's lightning. Like, really, it's like they all get struck by magic lightning. Yeah. Um, And and one of the hilarious things is they all get struck by magic lightning, and then the, the trolley car careers out of control and goes into a car and kills the guy in the car. Okay? The guy in the car later wakes up. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is, he becomes, it's not Shadow Man, cause that's, that's Engelhart's like weirdly terrible, like racist, terrible thing for Valiant. Nightman, he becomes Nightman. Ah, uh, right, right. Who gets Who a TV his... show. Yes, yes. What? But he gets his own book, like they spin him out. But, so basically you have this character who is like, should be dead and isn't, and you have all these characters being like, he should be dead, but he isn't. <laughs> and then he disappears, and it doesn't really get picked up in the book. Because instead, like, they're like, fucking read his own book. You want to yeah. know what his deal is? Just read his own book. <laughs> that's beautiful. That is, that is, that's, that's, that's sort of inspirational in a way. It was like, here's it's, our spinoff they are, book. They're really genuinely terrible comics, but terrible in such a wonderfully readable way. Mm-hmm. And it does, it really made me, I mean, genuinely made me go, the Ultraverse is terrible, but now I want to read everything else in the Ultraverse. Holy Like, shit. what if everything else was as bad as this? Like, do you remember Mantra? Well, that was Mike W. Barr's book, yes. which has... Do you remember the the high concept behind it? It's just, there's like a gender swap, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. essentially Conan, but now he's a woman in the modern day. <laughs> oh, is that <laughs> which, it? Wow. Yeah, which, again, is one of those simultaneously genius and appallingly bad high concepts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, there was a lot of sort of appallingly bad high concept. There was, of course, Prime, uh, you know, which is... Which was basically like, what if Captain Marvel was a bit grosser? Yeah, exactly. A very gross, right, a very gross version of Captain Marvel. Very strange that way. Uh, Yeah, and what, Sludge, right? The yeah, uh, there, there was a hard case. Mm-hmm. Um, There was Firearm? Am I making that up? The James Robinson character that was illustrated by Kali Hamner. That that sounds right. Is that fire? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, I thought that was Hard Case, so it shows you what I know. So No, Hard Case was the one who definitely had uh Dave Gibbons covers. Uh <laughs> There was there was um there was an Iron Man one. Prototype. Prototype? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right as well. <laughs> that a... again, all, all these characters disappeared. But yeah, I so I hunted down an entire run of, of strangers. Mm. And it, they're just, I really did like it's it's like twenty four issues, twenty five issues, wow. and you know I go to like Frank said Comic Swap, I go to conventions, and I managed to get like the entire run for maybe ten dollars. Wow! And that was ten dollars too much, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You know, um, despite the merry way down this path, and hopefully we'll return to it. Uh, I do think that it might be a good idea to also double back and mention Marie Severin, um, you know, just because she's a, a major talent, you know? It's one of the things I, and this sounds terrible, one of the things I, I appreciated about the the tributes to her mm-hmm. was it felt like the first time people are actually like, Marie Severin was really fucking important to Marvel. Yeah. Because yeah, Marie yeah. Severin was really fucking important to Marvel. Yeah. Like, a lot, I saw a lot of people, A, share the wonderful, not brand deck, how to be a comic book artist yeah. strip. 
Yeah. Which is just genuinely fucking great. And I put a couple panels up in the, the way well Instagram the other day from it. Um, but she, um, around the same time she was doing cover roughs for all these Marvel books. Yeah. And if you ever see them, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like not even as roughs. They're just amazing sketches. They're amazing artwork. Mm -hmm. There's such power and dynamism in them. Her Mm -hmm. design sense is a fucking sounding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's just, yeah, she was so great. Yeah. She was so great and was kind of in that sort of so multi-talented that, you know, and so important. Like, I think, I think it was Tom Spurgeon on his Twitter compared her to like one of those like baseball guy, you know, one of the, baseball guys who's not the superstar but keeps the team running because he can play every position well you know yeah yeah and and that was that was so her like uh her work on i don't know you know her her work on both dr strange and submariner and you know it's funny it's like she did and her hulk stuff yeah i was gonna say andrew hulk like it was like sort of the the proto defenders in that sense um is all just Really lovely and strong, and she had such a she had like a it was a strangely supple line, you know what I mean? Like there was just something that was kind of I remember as a kid like reading her books and being kind of well, I mean, you know, honestly, they were all maybe a little too heady for as as young as I was, you know what I mean? Because it's like Submariner, like I I wanted just the flat out like good guy beats the bad guy, you sure. know, and, yeah, yeah. and you just don't get those in any of those three titles, which is maybe part of why she was put, put on there. But I also just remember like they looked, they looked different. You know what I mean? Like they, they reminded me of lots of different things, but you could never quite put your finger on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, but there was always, there was always just something about her line that always seemed very, like it was very fully realized and made yeah. for lovely work, even as I was kind of like, ah, this is not, in fact, I want to say that like one of the first comics I might have seen by her was that classic, like, I was sick, so my parents like brought me like, I, it was like a good humor bar and like an issue of like Submariner or something like that. And I just remember, like, like just feeling overwhelmed. Like, you know when you're, like, a kid and you're just suddenly you're having an experience, probably because you're running a fever, where it's just, like... The, it's a little too much. Yeah, it's a little too much. The ice cream was, like, too sticky and sweet. And the, and the comic book pages were almost too fully rendered. And it just felt, I just felt, you know, kind of overhammered. Um which you know is uh, uh is a positive <laughs> for most people in comics and she should have been she should have been much bigger she was she but you, we say that and i i agree but at the same time everything that made her work wonderful and when i say her work i'm specifically talking about her penciling and inking yeah everything that made that work wonderful i feel was never never what was popular in comics no very much so yeah you know she had a I don't want to say pretty line because I feel that there's a weird gendered thing. No, I know there what you that mean. I don't want to like, even me but saying like, the line her, was her stuff was, yeah. was overly illustrative. Yeah. When you compare it to someone like uh, a Kirby or a, or a Basema or, right. or, you know, someone like that. Uh, her car- it was more subtle as well. 
Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she could do dynamism like nobody's business. Yeah. But her character work was more subtle, yeah. traditional. Right. You know, uh, she felt more classically trained than, or, or classically illustrative. Yeah. Than what was very popular in the Marvel style, and honestly, at DC at that point as well. But she was she was with Marvel. Right. Um. So she had the talent for sure. Oh yeah. But she never had the stuff that was going to appeal to that audience. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, which is – and again, it makes sense, but it's also a shame. The closest she came was she had a good long role run on uh, King Cole, I think it was. Is that yes, I, and that's apparently like some of her favorite work because yeah. she was inked by John for some of that as well. Wow. Yeah. And she, I, I, read, I read an interview where she was basically like, yeah, there, there's one particular issue of King Cole where John's inking me and it's, it's exactly what I always wanted my work to be. Mm, that's lovely. And and we should mention the not brand X stuff. She was she was a, a a fabulous parodist and pastiche artist in that sense of her ability to kind of do that kind of Will Elder style early Mad Comics comic for not brand X was pretty amazing. And of course, anyone who like reads the comics through the 70s, you know, through the Baxter building, since you and I are, you know, reading half the time from the GIT stuff. Uh, of course, it, that's faded now that we're in the 90s. But, like, looking at the the house art, like the subscription yes. art stuff and the yes. free stuff. And, yes. You know, and there's so much, there's so much Severin there. Like, you just... I don't know. I mean, obviously, I did this for work, but I don't know who else did this. Like, just Googling Marie Severin Marvel and doing an image search. Yeah, right. You see how much, like, classic, iconic stuff she did that you never actually realized was her. Mm-hmm. No, I believe that. Like, the that. Marvel Marching Society stuff is all yes, her. Yes, right, right. And I've never known that was her. Yeah. Like, I, 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 there's, there was another illustration. I can't remember what it was. But I swear to God, I always thought it was Buscema and Sinnott. Mm-hmm. And it was her penciling and inking. Yeah. And you're like, she's like, she's really fucking good. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's she is. She's one of those. She she made Marvel Marvel in in so many ways. Without her, Marvel wouldn't have been Marvel. Yeah. Especially because when you consider, she was essentially like the 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 in-house production artist and in-house colorist mm-hmm. for like the first ten years of the company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like even beyond what she pencils and inked, mm-hmm. she she was involved in so many books. Mm-hmm. Even beyond the cover, the cover sketches, she's involved in so many books. Mm-hmm. Like you take Marie Severin out of Marvel, and you don't have Marvel. No, you've you've kind of got this big hole of, you know, because I, I, for myself, I feel like um, when I didn't, I always thought of Marvel as you know, kind of this fully formed. You know, oh, just the usual gang of idiots kind of deal that that you know was kind of. I thought it started there. It wasn't until I got older and I started reading the early EC stuff that mm-hmm. I realized how much Stan was trying to mimic the EC, not the house style, but the idea that they had like they were all in it together and they were kind of all a big gang and they were always talking to, you know, the editorial pages were always talking about how the, the books were designed for adults. And, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie in the EC bullpen, yeah. you know, I, 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 I we even go back to like mad was by the gang of idiots. Mm-hmm. That's right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You can trace a line from that to, to Marvel. Yeah. 
So I feel that I feel that Marie Severin was really able to help bring and infuse that EC-ness that 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 Stan wanted and Stan presented. But I don't think he they couldn't have really carried it off if it hadn't been for her. You know? I, I wonder. Well, I wonder how much of that was her, because like she was the house colorist at EC as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like how much how much of that sensibility actually came from her? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I got to admit, I I don't. It, it's it's literally one of those questions we'll never get an answer to now. Yeah. Right. You know, because even if and this is going to sound super callous, and I apologize, but even if Stanley. Uh, was not the person that he is in terms of taking credit for other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be utterly cynical, I wouldn't trust Stan Lee's recollections now. No, because I, I I think he's just at that age mm-hmm. where I, I think I think anyone could tell him that something was his idea, and he'd genuinely believe it. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, we we may never know how much Maurice Severin actually influenced, like the the public presentation of marvel yeah yeah in those days yeah but but even even just looking at what she a work that you can literally look at and go oh that's marie severance mm-hmm. um she brought so much to that company in its first like 15 20 years yeah yeah absolutely absolutely oh lord um okay i'd say when when uh, both those people died in the, on on thursday mm-hmm I honestly was like, oh shit, someone else is going to die. Like, rule of three. Hmm. <laughs> and I was just like, nope. <laughs> I, like, I don't, I don't want, like, it's, it's, nope. Don't like it. Tom King's bodyguards fandom, maybe? <laughs> oh, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, I, I have a question. Skipping past that for a second. We can come back to that if you want. Sure. Unless there's something you have something to say about Tom King's bodyguard? Not uh, not really. I mean, apart from if people don't know what I'm talking about, I, I don't know how they should – the best way to Google it. I mean uh, – You should put a link in the show notes, certainly. But Graphic Policy had a, a piece about uh, – so for people who don't know what we're talking about, Tom King had a bodyguard at San Diego Comic-Con this year. Yeah. Um. Tom King's bodyguard became an internet personality. That's right. Because Tom King essentially made sure that he appeared in photos at any given opportunity. Yeah. And other people referenced him, and it was like a thing. It was like, ha-ha, I'm a Tom King's bodyguard. Right. Um, And Graphic Policy had a story this week that essentially laid out that, A, he's not a professional bodyguard. Right. B, he is responsible for Milwaukee Comic Con? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Cincinnati Comics Expo. Yeah. Um, and that he is a, he's an interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, read all the, the, um, implied euphemism in there that is intended. Yeah. Yeah. Go check out the story. Uh, you know, it's so tough because when I read it, I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, kind of like the perfect shorthand reference, but it's not. Uh, anyway, just, yeah, people oh, what, go what was, what was the perfect shorthand oh, reference? I, I, well, my, we'll see, and you'll see why it's not it's not right. As I was like, oh, yeah, it's, uh, Tom King's bodyguard is the new milkshake duck, you know, but that's <laughs> not – that's not entirely accurate, as you know. No, but, but I, I totally see how you get that because yeah. – 
he like it was it was the weirdest thing mm-hmm. um i well it was it was actually especially weird being at the show because i feel that a lot of tom king's bodyguards fame mm-hmm. was on the internet right you know because it was like especially because and again i was not really on the internet during this so this is me sort of picking up after the fact mm-hmm. but i feel that tom king sort of presented it as this guy yeah like uh, you know Whoa, what you gonna do mm-hmm. uh and and tried to make it into a joke mm-hmm. but um he, he became like a comedy character during that weekend online mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and so there was this weird like he's just a cute bodyguard right right you know let's all make jokes about him oh and then you read you know basically what he's been like to people and you're like oh fuck yeah so there's definitely there's definitely milkshake talk about it yeah 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 so that that was my one little uh reference and you you wanted to move on to something else and then i did but but nothing nothing better jeff (laughs) um it will not have escaped your notice that everyone's talking about comics gate right now yes I have had this weird thing all week that I, I'm, I'm genuinely want your input on. Hmm. I want to write something about Comic Skate. Oof. But I also think that if I do so, I have to talk to people from Comic Skate. Yeah. I think there's like a weird responsibility to do that. Sure. And I don't want to. Right. Is the short version. Mm-hmm. Like, I've already been trolled by Ethan Lanskyver. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. With the whole you YouTube know? thing that I yeah. that I followed your strict uh, uh, behest and have not not watched. Yeah. yeah. Um. But so I so you know in that sense like I I I I literally have this. I don't want to um to make contact. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to engage. Mm-hmm. But I also think that in order because there's been a lot of stories this week that are essentially like here's our take on comic skate it's bad and i agree with it's bad Mm -hmm. but i also think you're writing something for an audience that doesn't know what comic skate is you kind of have to talk to one of them Mm. like i think i i I don't think it's enough to be like take it from us they're shitty well just out of curiosity why would why talk to them as opposed to Quote them. Yeah, quote, quote, like. Uh, the... There's a couple. There's a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. One, uh, I just think that's better. Like, I, I, I feel giving them a chance to, quote unquote, have their say, mm-hmm. undercuts the inevitable blowback slightly. Mm-hmm. Although maybe not, because you know, unless you write any piece that is, and by the way, the future of comics is comics gate. Yeah. You will have them being like they took what i said out of context yeah uh but secondarily uh fuck what's his name richard meyer mm-hmm. uh his person comics uh twitter account is now private mm. um because he was he was smart mm-hmm. he just locked his account down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and i'm sure the man is going to do that right so, to be perfectly honest with you mm-hmm. um but I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, I can't sh- shake the idea that like it, the responsible thing to do is to talk to one of them. But I also just don't want to. Yeah, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. You know? Right. And, and so I've had this weird thing where I'm like – because I feel like it has been like the dominant 
conversation in comics over the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I remember last weekend I, going to Twitter and everyone was doing the, I believe, comics are for everyone tweet. Right. And I'm seeing like everyone do it. I'd be like, I honestly, my first thing was like, has something happened? <laughs> Like, have they gone after someone else? Because they went after Marsha Cook, and that's when, when yeah. it went mainstream again. Mm-hmm. You know, we say like it's not already tried to go mainstream like four or five times. Right. Um. But when I saw these people doing the comics are for everyone, mm-hmm. like I believe comics are for everyone. You know, there's no space for blah 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 uh, in comics criticism, which still irritates the shit out of me. Yeah. Um. I I when I saw so many people do that, I was like, has something happened? Like, have they gone after someone else? Have they, you know, what's happened that everyone all of a sudden is doing this on a Sunday of all days? Right. And and sure enough, like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. Like, Tom Taylor just said it, and everyone was like, "Oh, this way I can pretend I'm making a comment, even though I'm clearly not making a comment. I'll just cut and paste this thing." Yeah, cut and paste is a quote unquote show of solidarity. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's but it feels like it, like you know, it's it's what people are talking about. It's what people are are still talking about a week later. Mm-hmm. And so because I'm like, I, I should write something, but I don't know. Uh, I don't just want to write a, this is bad. You know, like, cause I, I feel like I've read variations in that this week mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what the purpose of those pieces are. If that makes sense. Beyond, beyond just saying this is bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, I don't know. I, 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 I'm genuinely struggling. So Jeff, like, give me some, some response. Oof. I don't know, man. I gotta tell you because I think that there are probably other voices, uh, in the industry that might be able to give you, like, better advice as to, like, why you should or shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Well, Cause for myself, I had, I think, I've got kind of that traditional privileged white dude thing of like, you know, free speech above all else. And yeah, you should give these guys a chance to, you know, you present sort of both sides and then you research it heavily enough that you can actually, you know, present what you've, you know, like reading someone who has educated themselves on the whole thing and then talked about it, you know, but I don't, but I also feel like, there's been a lot that the tenor of 2018 is a little bit of we well, don't just you don't just want to present both sides do you know what i'm saying like right. you want like you want them to ha- let you want them to be you want them to present their argument sure mm-hmm. but at the same time honestly i want to destroy their argument well sure you know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't just want to do a piece that's like, you've got to listen to both sides, because you don't. No, exactly. Well, see, so this is my thing. Like I said, part of me is like, yeah, you should, you know, talk about, you know, cover the history, let them speak for themselves, and then, you know, either let them hang themselves by their own words, or, you know, find stuff that, that really does contradict what they say. Cause there's a lot of obfuscation. There's a lot of. There's that, that's, and that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would, 
ideally want – I'm saying this on a podcast, which means it will never happen because literally I'm putting this out in the public sphere. Right. I guess what I'm saying is like I now want someone else to do this, seeing as I'm going to say this. Right. I want someone to talk to them and then literally just get everything that disproves what they're saying mm-hmm. because you look at what Ethan Van Skyver says and he's just lying. Well, yeah, but I mean but that's the thing. It, and I guess that's my deal is I feel like – You're like, why, why present it if he's lying? Yeah. Because I, I sort of, there is no, there's no, there's no upside. I almost feel like that's the case. Like part of me is the, it's ultimately there's, there's a lot to be on the one hand. I see, I see what you're saying. And I think that it would be a piece would be good to have of that. If sort of like the, if you can kind of do the definitive piece. You know what I mean? Like someone who writes the one piece where it's just like everyone who like ends up getting sea lined in, in, on Twitter can just be like, don't even talk to me. Don't don't at me until you've read this piece. And then there's a link. You know what I mean? And then if they come back and say, well, I still think that blah, blah, blah is like, OK, you clearly either didn't read the exactly. story I'm or you were doing a bad faith. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I part of me is like. Yes, there's a value in that, and part of me is like, yes, there's a value in 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 having that out there. But I almost feel like the the real jinx is by talking about it and talking about what you want to do with it. To me, like unless I oh, just snip this yeah, stuff I, out, I, yeah, no, but exactly, you know? I can't do it. That's what I'm saying. Because then like, it becomes someone things. else's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just I don't know. It's just. I, I get I find myself really frustrated with the pieces that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, but not as frustrated as I am with the gamer uh, the comic skaters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, there has to be there has to be a way to write about this. There has to be a way to do this. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. Right. You know, it's 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 the it's a very. It's a very exhausting, um, so it's a very exhausting subject, but it's also a very exhausting thing to try and analyze. Right. Because, because there is such bad faith. Because yeah. it's not, it's not actually, you're not actually dealing with, uh, uh, a, uh, a coherent argument. You well, know? it it it's it, one part of it is the coherent argument, and part of it is the it. I feel I feel like the the through line with things like Comicsgate or Gamersgate or or some of these other incarnations have so much to do with the digital landscape in 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 all of its various uh, challenges. You know, you've you've got a you've got an echo chamber, you've got sock puppets, you have people who uh, literally will erase statements or delete things from their timeline, yes. you know, that that unless other people have actually captured the screenshots, which some people yeah, have, but what's that? And we're actually like there in the moment, saw it at, at that actual time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and made it made it a point to screen grab it. So there's a lot of, and that's the thing that I really think is is that looking at just the way that Van Skyvers handled stuff all the way through, but especially recently, it is growing. It is so outright 
duplicitous that I yeah. the part of me is kind of like I don't know what like you said you can present something and then they're just you know they're going to lie about it like it's going to be like well, yeah a that's, record, that's that's you know yeah that's the concern you yeah. know that that you you present their words but like exactly as they say them mm-hmm. you don't edit anything yeah you present the truth mm-hmm. and then they will claim a that you have a bias and b that you edited their their statement mm-hmm. you know and that's that's one of the many reasons why I just don't want to engage. Right. Because what, you know, you're lit, I, it's literally just inviting trouble. Right. But you do it's want to engage in the sense of you do want sort of a definitive piece in that sense that people can kind I, of. I, yeah. Well, I want to, en- I want to engage in the subject. I don't want to engage in the people responsible for the subjects. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, so I, this, this week, I watched, and I know, I hope at least no one else listening to this did. I watched the DC Universe live stream. Oh. Uh, they did a launch thing. It was Kevin Smith, and it was like two fucking hours long, Jeff. Jesus. Uh, of like, you know, here's what's coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, here's Terry Hatcher talking about Lewis and Clark for like 20 minutes, which is far too long. <laughs> here's like Kevin Conroy talking about watching Batman again. Like, you know, they did a lot of that. Right. Um, it's been streamed live on YouTube, mm-hmm. and this is on shit Wednesday, mm-hmm. and on I want to say Sunday. Um, now I've got to remember who it is so I don't get this wrong. One of the I want to say it's Robbie Rodriguez mm-hmm. sent Ethan Manscriver a picture of his asshole. I believe it is Robbie Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and that immediately got turned into. This is filth. Get this man away from DC Comics. Get this man away from our kids. Right. The comments on the DC Universe live stream were literally eight out of every ten comments were people just posting hashtag anusgate. <laughs> that was it. And like an update in real time. It's, it's a stream that you're watching. Right. And I'm watching this terrible, terrible live stream, and then I notice like this is happening in the comments, it's right beside it. Right. And I, I'm like weirdly fascinated because mm-hmm. I was like, this is astounding that like this thing, which is being watched by you know thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. is getting completely comment bombed mm-hmm. by skaters who you know will a deny they did it. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how other people bully them, and they never bully people. Yeah, yep. And I was like, "You're just like literally just saying hashtag anusgate over and over again." <laughs> this is astounding. Yeah, but it's 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 that level of you know bad faith or just I don't know. It it the, the simultaneous like I want to say something and I really don't. You know. Yeah, I I do get that. And like I said, part of me is like, I feel like it might be a really good idea to talk about this with... Well, it's it's funny, because part of me, you said, like, talk to other people, and I was like, oh, I could just talk to the people they've harassed. Well, you could talk to <laughs> like, the people they've that, harassed, that, yeah. That's something, that's mm-hmm. something that I think all of these pieces that I've read this week have been missing, mm-hmm. which is no one's actually doing original reporting about this. Mm-hmm. Like, Aber did for The Daily Beast months ago. Mm-hmm. But of this latest round of reports, yeah. it's basically people being like, "Yeah, this is terrible," right? You know, hold up their hands. Mm-hmm. 
and and that's it. And I, so maybe maybe that's the solution. Maybe the solution is talking to the people they for us. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think so. I mean, I think there's that, but I think that it's also because I I feel like it makes sense to me that there are people who are frustrated by the fact that uh, you know people finally started taking a stand when comic skaters were harassing Darwin Cook's uh, widow. And I mean, let's face it, that is horrible. But of course, the the comic skaters were also harassing uh, transgendered creators and creators well, of that's color. The, like, yeah, like it's, you know. it's one of those things where uh, I, I, as much as anyone, enjoyed seeing Marsha Cook just lose her shit mm-hmm. and refuse to be killed by them. Yeah, I, I genuinely did, mm-hmm. but. The idea that that is what made it mainstream, as opposed to like going after like Mike Spazaggio mm-hmm. for for fucking ever, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Or or the when they went after Heather Antos when she was a Marvel, mm-hmm. or or any of that, and like those things are you know going after creators of color for fucking ever. Yep. Um, you know the the Daryl Io thing is mm-hmm. still nuts. Yeah. Like absolutely insane mm-hmm. the the not only what actually happened but the mythology that they've built up around that yeah. and the revisionism that they've created around yeah, it exactly is is mind-blowing yeah and and is is gaslighting to such a degree mm-hmm. that i saw it happen mm-hmm. and part of me is still like well, maybe I'm misremembering it. Right, right. Exactly. You know, because yeah. they're because it's it's so intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just something I've been thinking about lately, Jeff. I I get something. it, Graham. I I think I think your instincts are good. I do think that there is. I would say that there is a piece that that you know needs to be. A, a lengthy piece that needs to be written, I think. But part of me is also kind of a little bit of the, you know, we, we, I feel like there are ways in, in that having actual comics pros and actual members of the comics industry, sh- you know, I, by, by which I mean, you know, Marvel, DC, the actual publishers. The the fact mm. that Image has not made any sort of statement about intolerance, like the number of creators, the comics companies, there was like what Vault Comics made a statement condemning it, right? Yeah, uh, I I've, I've got to be honest, and this is me being amazingly cynical. Uh huh. Um, Robbie Rodriguez doing that, posting that, mm-hmm. and then them turning on Robbie Rodriguez. The A correct and B smart thing. Mm-hmm. That Vertigo should have done would be to very dramatically stand behind Rodriguez, mm-hmm. like both from a it's the right thing to do, and from a you want to convince people that Vertigo's relaunch like means it and is standing up for the right things, mm-hmm. that fucking through the weight of your company behind him. Mm-hmm. But but of course they didn't. Right. Right. But but I, I like I all all week I almost once like emailed them and be like just fucking make a statement. Yeah. There's no pushback from this. Mm-hmm. Everyone who would get upset about uh, any pushback already doesn't like you. 
Right. Like, there's no downside to making a statement in support of Robbie Rodriguez right now. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's weird. And it's weird the extent to which Marvel is not, uh, you know, it's not quite dog whistling, but, like... Oh, are you talking about the, the C.P. Sabalski comment about, like, let's not make the books too political? Yeah, something like that. The the whole idea of, like, hey, you know, what always matters is, like, it's got to be a good story. It's got to be, yeah. you know, like, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that this has to be here to entertain or something. That yeah, I was that, that, like, that really, mm-hmm. I was like, nope. Like, I, I can break your code, and I don't like that code at all. Right. Well, if it had happened in isolation, but very much coming af- after you know, uh, their courtship of John Byrne, who is a, who's a dude who Which has... is now, like, official, because you saw he fucking said it, mm-hmm. which is, like, it was weird enough when it was a rumor mm-hmm. that that Marvel was going to get back in the John Byrne game. Mm-hmm. But for Sabolsky to then say that John Byrne is at the top of his list for creators for Marvel? Yeah, right? That's insane! Mm-hmm. Like, on, on every level, and I don't just mean in the sense of, you know, John Byrne has said some appalling things, although John Byrne has said some appalling things. Well, see, that's but, it, yeah. But, but like, even beyond that, John Byrne is on the top of their list for creator gets at Marvel. Right. The guy who has not had a creatively, like, successful comic, a commercially successful comic, for 20 years? Mm-hmm. The, the guy who basically closed himself out of the industry? Mm-hmm. He's at the top of your creator list. Right. Right. It's astounding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things that I feel like Marvel's signaling, and I think they're to to be as to be the most generous, optimistic thing to paint it as is they're playing with fire, and I don't think they really understand, you know. Which, to be honest, I I I weirdly believe that Mm -hmm. because I think Secret Empire shows that. I think Secret Empire shows that they are all too eager to play with ideas without actually acknowledging where those ideas go. Now, at the risk of, at the risk of, um, potentially, like, cutting through, uh, your veil of, uh, elipticism, uh, did you read D- David Uzumari's piece on Medium about Comicsgate? Yes, I did. And I'm I'm curious, as a member of the Comics Press, what you thought of it, because I believe Uzumari's working theory is essentially that Comicsgate is what happens when you know the industry more or less chokes out a a, a, a an a comics press that is actually trying, essentially. Um, I... I think it's a really interesting theory. I do not buy it as fact, mm-hmm. is the short version. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some... I think there's some really uh, difficult thinking in there, or there's mm-hmm. some thinking that I have a lot of problems with, I guess is the better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think there is a certain amount of, um, posturing is not the right word, mm-hmm. but I think that 
the uh, I think for people involved with Comics Alliance, mm-hmm. there's a mythology of Comics Alliance that has been bought into mm-hmm. that is not necessarily what was actually happening. <laughs> and I I think David's piece definitely has has pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it's 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 a difficult piece for me to engage in because I think his basic theory is sound mm-hmm. but also A not actually what happened and B built on a faulty premise. Hmm. And the f- uh the faulty pre- uh, you're gonna just maybe get in trouble, aren't you? Well, no, no, no. You're and just, if you if you want to swear from it, but unfortunately, when you say on a faulty premise, that's the point where I would be like the faulty the faulty premise for me is Comics Alliance was getting closed out because it was trying to speak truth to power, mm-hmm. and that's correct to an extent, right? But a, I don't think it was really getting closed out to the extent that it's being portrayed there, mm-hmm. and b. To the extent that it was getting closed out, I think there was also personality clashes as much as the editorial direction of Comics Alliance. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, and beyond that, there's there's a part of of, I'd, and I'd have to go back and read it to to properly formulate this response, mm-hmm. or read it, I should say, to properly formulate this response, but. His theory of like everyone should band together, like mm-hmm. and stick up for for comics press, uh, feels like a slightly um, a problematic one for me. Mm-hmm. Because where do you draw the line? You know, he mentions Userama and CBR, mm-hmm. right? But what about like some random dupes? Like, what if Colin Smith doesn't get access? Mm-hmm. Right. Does Colin Smith deserve access? It's I I love Colin's writing. Mm-hmm. I love Colin's blog. He's a one person site. Mm-hmm. Does he automatically deserve access? What about Bleeding Cool? Does Bleeding Cool deserve access? Because it has uh, a, a bigger readership than the Comics Alliance did. Mm-hmm. Right? Does it get access? Um, does Wizard World's website get access back when it existed? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, where do you, where, where is the, where is the line? Who decides who deserves access? And who do, who do we all stand up for? Do we all stand up for everyone? Well, uh, I think that there is a point. I think there is a point where you move from professional, from hobby sites to professional sites, and at that point, yeah, there's a lot to be said for the idea of of professional sites standing up for one another like you see a little bit of that sure, happening sure, but, I, but again like who decides who decides what is a professional site is it outhousers a professional site mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. is bounding into comics a professional site sure like who decide who who makes that decision because someone has to mm-hmm So who makes that decision? There, there's, there's, I, I just, it's, it's just weird because I, I think that, especially if you go back to Comics Alliance at that point, if you said like, okay, the Outhousers deserves the access as well, then mm-hmm. would everyone involved with Comics Alliance back then have agreed with that? 
you know, or Bleeding Cool. Mm-hmm. I would lay money that at least half the people involved in comics lines back then wouldn't say Bleeding Cool deserves access. Sure. But why not? Right. I'm not, I'm not sure that I would agree with them, though. I mean, and that's the thing, that idea of like... No, but I, but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, when you're saying we all have to stand up for each other, mm-hmm. then you have to mean it. Well... Like, you, ha- you have to actually mean it. And yes. so that involves standing up for the people that you don't like. I I, I think that I think that that's where the thing falls down, because I think that David's ultimately saying we were doing good work and people should have stood up for us. Mm-hmm. And there's something implied in that. It's being like, yeah, but if you're not doing good work, then. Eh. <laughs> well, I, yeah, no, I, it, it is true. That is an implicit part of of the of his premise, and I can see I see what you mean by that. And so, like, I have problems with that. Yeah. So it's like I said, it's a really interesting. It's a it's a really interesting art essay. It's actually really useful for his theory beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, when he when he sort of talks about how how Comics Alliance not getting access sort of set up the straw man game mm-hmm. that then goes through. You know, Secret Empire. I think he he makes the argument is like is the breaking point mm-hmm. of good faith, and then how that's created where we are today. And it's like I said, it's it's a really interesting theory, but I'm just not sure I agree with with really basic points of it. Right. Right. Well, which is which is why I'm asked. Why, why I'm asked. Which well, is why. Well, I asked. So, so what what do you think of it? Like, were you convinced by it? Well, uh, uh, I would say yes. Sort of the yes, but you know, yes, but. I was not involved in the industry. Um, yes, but there's a way in which I took part of what Usumeri is saying as a statement more about the, the way in which, um, access was, was really like anyone that was going to say anything negative at all was going to that that you know you had to absolutely be as sycophantic as possible uh in order to stay on Marvel's good side you know and uh i i think that there is a lot to say about that it's interesting the other thing that i i that to me is what has a certain degree of um uh, re- resonated for me is as somebody who spent a certain amount of time hanging out on some video game discussion boards prior to the arrival of Gamergate the conversation on video game discussion boards was very much this idea of well it w- was that so much of the video game press could not be trusted that they were so heavily indebted to the websites for the hits mm-hmm. that they that essentially they were everyone sort of viewed their video game reviews and ratings with tremendous amounts of skepticism and mm-hmm. that really lays the groundwork for for Gamergate in a significant way and I don't remember um, Usumeri specifically drawing the lines between the two, but I think that it makes a certain amount of sense that uh, 
once there is no appearance of an impartial press, at that point it becomes easier for the hucksters to slip in and start yeah, no, spinning. I, 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 that's that's yeah. entirely yeah, that's definitely true. So what's what's yeah? Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, no, no. Go. no, 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 no. I think I, I don't know where I was going after that. So. But no, what, what's funny is, you know, we're talking about access and we're talking about like being 100% sycophantic. And the thing that actually that brought to mind was um, I got the statement and the corrected R about the Ryan Audley thing this week. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Jeff, I've not had the best relationship with Marvel. Mm-hmm. But like I got the exclusive Mm -hmm. they came to me Hmm. i i i mean i had gone to them the day before and they said no no comment and then the next day Mm -hmm. they came to me um and i don't quite know what that means i don't know quite how that fits into the argument Mm -hmm. uh in part because i was surprised they came to me yeah right (laughs) um but it's I don't know it, it's it's uh I like I play the access game. Well, of course. You know, like it's it's literally part of the job. Well, and this is this is the the very nature of is as you know far better than I. Um this is the nature of the way that that news has changed, you know, for everyone and everything across the board. Like you know, the, the idea of hard reporting about entertainment industries is kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird line that you're walking. Most of what people are interested in, the, the larger part of the audience is interested in previews and sneak peeks and behind the scenes and all the things that, you know, are, uh, that the industries hold the keys to, to offer to the media. You know, and there are times where it's like they want to get the word out. And the next thing you know, you know, you're being flown out on some junket to, you know, watch the premiere of the Clone Wars or jump around in Iron Man armor or whatever it is that you end up, you know, doing. I see what you're doing, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) But but I but I also think that there is the idea of, you know, for for a, for a long time there was a a bitter battle in Hollywood about how much movie critics should have access how much access should the New York Times have to Hollywood pictures and things like that with absolutely no guarantee that there was going to be a good review or a bad review <laughs> like you know you you buttered the guy's bread you know, but you didn't necessarily know what he was going to do with the sandwich, so to speak. And yeah, yeah. And there's a way in which, more or less, that was that was okay. There was a belief with like sort of the big media giants way back when that that was kind of the way that it had to. Like getting a review in the New York Times, good or bad, was practically better than not being mentioned by the New York Times at all. And even more, there was a there was just a little bit of that idea that the New York Times was had enough clout that it was like, well, if I'm going to pull my support, you know. So there was there. I feel like there are just there are degrees. Like if Marvel is trying to build bridges by coming to you 
like you said, for the access game, I personally believe that with the Ryan Otley story, it made a lot of sense in the idea of like, if you were going to turn around on this story and say, do the story that you did, which is basically Marvel's taking this very seriously and here's their statement on it. And they're saying that they're going to do this and this, and this has automatically been, you know, essentially is being undone as we speak by digital editions, you know, the people who don't know, you know, your relationship with Marvel are going to read the story and be like, oh, okay, that's a thing that is happening. You know, people who do know your relationship, you know, are more likely to go like, oh, holy shit. Well, you know, if Graham's saying this more or less, it's got to be true. You know what I mean? And when I say know your relationship, have a distorted view of your relationship, too. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, that's just that, like, even if you just read myself in THR, mm-hmm. uh, like you, you, it's quite clear that I'm not someone who is going to be like give Marvel softballs. Right. You know. You know. Right. So at that point, it's kind of a thing of like, oh, okay, this is a source we can respect who's reporting this. That it, then they must be taking it seriously. That's the takeaway, and that is a little bit of the way that you should have a range of people. But you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, consider considering its ties to the presidency, Marvel run has very much run the game like a dictator. You know, you mm-hmm. you say anything against me, you're shut out, you know, you, you we're gonna we're gonna do our best to make sure that you don't get not only do you not do you not get coverage, we'll threaten to pull coverage from the people you report for if you're still working for them. Like Well he, here's here's the stuff that's really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I can think of maybe honestly maybe three actual proper blacklistings mm-hmm. of journalists by comic companies mm-hmm. and that's it mm-hmm. and the idea of you know everyone is upset and but when I say everyone I mean everyone who is not a journalist or in publishing is upset at the idea of access journalism, right? Because everyone who is a journalist or, or uh, working in publishing literally just accepts it as the way the world works. Yes. But the thing about the idea of access journalism, and especially of like, you know, you do what we see or we blacklist you, mm-hmm. is that when it comes to comics, blacklisting is astonishingly rare. Uh, a hard like, blacklist, but I don't know about the soft blacklist. I really don't. I could tell you stories of stuff that you would think are definitely going to result in a blacklist right. and don't. Mm-hmm. And not only don't, but literally result in little more than the publicist will tell the person, oh, I'm really mad at you, and then like a week later be talking to them. Well, sure. Because how do I put it? There are, and and I think, well, I don't know. I mean, that's that sort of, I will I will take your word for it. And uh, but access I almost tr- named names, and I was like, I can't. I'm not just having a conversation mm-hmm. with Jeff. This is a podcast, right? Like, exactly. I can't say the companies, and I can't say the journalists. No, 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 no. And I and I think that's totally fair. And I think that I also start moving into the world of because I do think that there's 
there's a little bit of the you've normalized this a little bit. Well, no, you know? I'm not, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like two journalists and people are working publishing. That's what I'm saying. This yeah. is the way the world works. Right. Like you have normalized it. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I get that, but, but that but, doesn't necessarily mean but, that it's right, of course. No, I'm not saying it's right, but yeah. I guess when I, what I am saying is the flip side of that is people are people have an idea of basically the power that publishers have, mm-hmm. and I think it's an incorrect idea mm-hmm. because theoretically the publishers have that power, but they never use it or literally twice. Mm. And I've been doing this for more than a decade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I know a lot of people, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, yeah. Well, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to say any more than that because sure. I'm, I'm going to end up naming names. Right, right. But when we're not recording, I'll tell you something that you think is someone that you, you think is blacklisted uh, that is not. Right. And you'll go, oh. I look forward to that. Jeff Lester, here's my question. Yes. We have talked a lot around comics. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about comics. I, I'm offering you, like, in Choose Your Own Adventure style, I'm offering you two paths. <laughs> One, do you want to talk about the CPLDF and SPX news? Or do you want to talk about some comics I have read this week? Uh, let's talk about the CBLDF and XPX, because uh, I think that is a good little wrap-up note for the news, I think, and then, and then, yeah, we can move into talking about comics of the of the reading. Um, okay, so for people who don't know, CBL, LDF did, I want to say this was Thursday, I'm, time is literally meaningless now, um, two, two stories. One, there's a new president, there's actually a whole new raft of board members, uh, but, God, I can't remember the names, the woman's name for the life of me. Um, I'm trying to see because uh, Christina Merkler mm-hmm. is, is the co-owner of the Discount Comic Book Service, which is the online uh, web store for comics. She is now the new president of the CBLDF. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, this announcement was made 10 minutes before it was then revealed that SPX has created a legal fund to support the 11 people who are being sued for defamation by Cody Pickrod. Mm-hmm. Cody Pickrod is suing, uh, breaks down as, I think it's nine cartoonists, one publisher, and one critic for uh, defamation following... Pickrod has been accused of many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual abuse. Um, and I... I, I see. Here's one of those things where, like, I don't want to get it wrong because then right. I could get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's um, just say there are many issues there. Well, but, but the, yeah. the other thing that's really interesting is there's there's the 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 sexual abuse style uh, things, but he's also interestingly enough also accused of not paying people that he has published. That's Cody right. Pickrod is a cartoonist and a small press publisher, I should mm-hmm. say, um, and so he's suing these people for defamation for essentially passing on these stories yeah um he's suing them for a lot of money yeah like a lot of money is it not something ridiculous like 2.5 million dollars or something yeah yeah it's it's insane how much he's suing them for Mm -hmm. um and this broke uh via the comics journal and we should definitely put the comics journal story in the show notes because it's it's by far 
the best explanation of what's happening. Yes. Um, this broke maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, two, three and, weeks ago, I think. Yeah. People immediately were like, "CBLDF, where are you in this?" Mm-hmm. And they said it's not our charter. Yeah. And I actually spoke to CBLDF after this. They said that, and they're like, "We'll send you the fucking charter. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll, like, you know, this, it, it's, it's not what we're supposed to do." Right. And and we're not uh, defensive about it. They were literally just like, "It's it's literally not like it's not our case." Yeah. But they got a lot of people basically going, well, I'm not going to support the CBLDF if they're not going to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina Merkler is announced as the new president of CBLDF. Ten minutes later, SPX uh, announces that it has opened this legal fund for these 11 defendants of this this case. Yeah. It is being seeded with $20,000. Mm-hmm. $10,000 comes from SPX, and the second $10,000 comes from SPX but also comes from CBLDF mm-hmm. because the annual $10,000 that SPX donates to CBLDF is just being repurposed and put straight into this fund. Yes. This is being done with the uh, approval, shall we say, of the CBLDF board. Mm-hmm. CBLDF is also providing legal advice mm-hmm. to this legal board uh, and also helped set the fund up. So this is a good thing. Yes, right, I think so. Uh, Twenty thousand dollars is already been made available mm-hmm. to the to the cartoonists and the, the other defendants. The idea is, I believe, that they are going to try and raise an additional. They're going to try and raise additional funds. Yes, and that the legal fund that was announced is that twenty thousand is the start, mm-hmm. and then there will be more news coming in terms of how they're going to raise funds. Mm-hmm. It's good news. Um. It's very good news for the CBLDF, for one of a bed for putting it. Yes. Because, I mean, I saw you tweet, basically, like, you know, how can I support, who else can I support besides the CBLDF? Mm-hmm. Uh, in response to their inaction on this story. Yeah. How do you feel as someone who did publicly say, I want to support other people based on this? I, I was, I was pleased. I was definitely like, okay, this is, this is great. Um, you know, I, I didn't immediately switch my my uh, little smile.amazon.com thing back from the Hero Initiative, but, you know, because I'm like, eh, the Hero Initiative is not bad either. But, yeah, well, no, but I'm also like, someone who's actively contributed money to the CBLDF over the years, donated cash, and sure, yeah. would feel okay about going back and doing it again. Like, this is what I wanted to see from them. You know, and and I thought was like appropriate, you know. Yeah. So uh, I I think I think it's I think it's good in both senses. Uh, Christina Merkler's statements, uh, both when she both from the announcement of her getting the new president's position, uh, and with the announcement of the fund, strike me as what I want to hear from the president of the CBLDF. Mm-hmm. Um, and. From talking to various people, I, I'll admit I I'm tended to before this think of the CBLDF as Charles Brownstein's. Mm-hmm. He's the executive director, and like Larry Martyr was the president. And honestly, if you'd asked me like a week ago who the president of CBLDF That's was, true, yeah, fuck knows, you know, yeah, right? Uh, from what I've heard, Merkel is going to be pretty hands on, mm-hmm. and it, it's going to uh, be more proactive, right, uh, in things, which I think would be great, to yeah. be honest. 
I think so too. I think so too. Uh, there, I was fascinated by the extent to which the CBLDF stuff really did blow up and people were upset and people were also sort of starting to talk about, um, some of the incidents, the incident, I should say, in Brownstein's past and, and really being like, it, 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 the, the optics looked very bad. Uh, so I think that this would, this was, uh, I think that also is a very smart change up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, if they, if they can and do mm-hmm. forefront Merkler, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like, not offense, Charles, but basically push Charles into the back office, mm-hmm. I think that's an, a, a remarkably smart PR move in their part. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. You know, for, for the very reasons you're talking about. Yeah. So yes, so thank you for mentioning that. That is that is kind of a is also a major major bit o news. See, I think there ha- it's been a like it's been a busy news week. I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I I I'm sure I'm sure like I'm sure comics were announced. I I like I genuinely can't remember if anything was announced this week. Oh right, yeah, I don't. Like, maybe there were. <laughs> I I don't. Well, this this is the weird thing. Like I know stuff that's going to be announced, right? And I don't know if it's been announced yet. Yeah, well, this really is. This is like, the doc. It's, it's, you are the Doctor Who of the podcast. I mean, no, I've made that joke before, thing, but yeah. but that's it's really is the weirdest thing where I'm like, I know something that was meant to be announced this weekend mm-hmm. but it's not been announced yet and I don't want to think that it definitely will be announced by the time we release the podcast because what if they change their mind and I yep. just say it here yeah. you know I definitely remember there was a piece of juicy news that you told me off air that you're like it's going to be announced tomorrow and and then it just wasn't yeah it was like a month and a half later it dropped and it was like oh there it is you know but you right. were but that, that's yeah. that's the weirdest thing because you you or i i should say you get told things and literally you get told this is dropping on x date right mm-hmm. and then they'll shift it mm-hmm. but they won't tell you they've shifted it and you're literally like did i miss that <laughs> like did, did that happen? yeah like like there's a uh there's a Marvel announcement that I was told like a month ago was going to happen in the next week that has still not happened. Mm. Mm. And I don't know if that means it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> or it got pushed out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's this weird, weird thing. Mm-hmm. That, and especially because, like, I got told before Jury Judy, and it's supposed to be announced the week I was doing Jury Judy. Which I, when I was fairly disconnected from everything, right? And I was really like, "Did it happen? Like, did, <laughs> I, did I just like, not online?" For that matter, I got told uh, there was going to be essentially like a new publisher launching the week of Jury Duty. That again just didn't happen. Wow! And I was like, "Does that mean it's not happening?" <laughs> right? What? Like, what, what happened? happened? Yeah. Things, and then they don't happen, and you're like, "So it's not. It like it's real." <laughs> Oh, oh, Graham. Well, anyway, so from that, let's pivot to books that you have read that you feel comfortable you can talk about. Oh, I'm, I, these are ones that are literally years old. I read the Charles Sewell run of Daredevil and Marvel Unlimited. Really? Or, or up to date, up to like, I guess six months ago, because it's, right. it's Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Have you read? I have not. Have you read much Charles Sewell? Uh, no. No, I haven't. I haven't. Is is that because you were disinterested or just because your your uh reading interests are, are elsewhere at least is? Yeah. You know, maybe it, I uh it I would say actually a lot of it is it honestly comes down to timing. As I recall, Sewell started to get big at Marvel right around the time that I decided that I was going to boycott them. So mm-hmm. You know, I heard lots of really good things about his She-Hulk run, and which I ended up reading a few issues, of which at Marvel Unlimited, like much later, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. I would like to read more of this. And then, you know, and I know he's moved on to Daredevil, and of course, the idea of actually having a lawyer write Daredevil, I think, seems like such a very good idea. Um, you know, and Sewell's got he. He generally has a really good rep. Uh, he also did. But the problem is, is I remember, and this is why I hate bringing it up, that it made you so mad you like wanted to break a board over your head. But like he did letter forty four, yeah, and I did not like that. That was one of those free comic book day books that I wrote about when I reviewed like seventeen of them or something for our site or something. And you were just like, why did you like? this this book and give some other horrible piece of trash a pass you know because there was there was something about Sewell's book that was kind of you know it just it rubbed me the wrong way and you're like give him more of a try of course so you 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 didn't of and course I ha- you and didn't I haven't I still haven't yeah so <laughs> uh, it's it's funny you say that because I actually reread Letter for for really recently uh-huh. and I'm probably closer to your feelings on it now Oh, interesting! Wow. Uh, it, it, the, it, this is what I'll say. I got into an, a soul. I got into the soul groove, Jeff. Um, <laughs> the soul because I, I train. Was, I was reading his Podameron mm-hmm. on Marvel Limited, and it's just—it's nothing special, and yet it's great because of that. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's super laid back. Mm-hmm. It's in fact, I got into that because I think I was reading his Lando run. I'm fairly sure he did the Lando book with with um, Alex. That's probably Malik. right. Yeah. Let, let me right. look into this. Did he do Lando? And is he is he? He did. Okay. He, he did. He did Lando with Alex Maliu, and that's actually a super fun miniseries. Mm-hmm. That, that's a genuinely fun. Even if you're not a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. um, it's just a very compact uh, heist book, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, full of double crosses, except that it also happens to feature, like, stormtroopers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really fun. Oh, he's doing that other Star Wars book. Let me read that other Star Wars book. And that is also really fun. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I should, I should just read more of his stuff. Wait, I've got Letter 44. Mm-hmm. And I went back and read it, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> this is a much more mannered Aaron Sorkin riff. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also really slow compared with his Marvel work. Mm-hmm. Like he clear he clearly at some point was like, I've got to pick up the pace. Right. I have to like have more happen in these stories. I have to uh like honestly the maybe more poor Dameron than, than Lando, but Lando's kind of weirdly the trashier book. But both of them feel like Soul read two thousand AD between Letter forty four and those Star Wars books. Mm. I was like, shit, yeah, things can happen. Mm-hmm. Like I have like 
silly things happen in these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, hey, he's doing Daredevil. And Daredevil is not a character that I have an incredible affinity with. Mm-hmm. But A, I was in a Charles Sewell mood, and B, like you said, like the lawyer writing a lawyer thing mm-hmm. was was enough of a gimmick to make me go, yeah, let, let me see. And helped out immediately in the first few issues with the art. Mm-hmm. Ron Garney and Matt Mila. Uh, Garney's doing pencils and inks and Mila's doing colors. And it is such a, a particular look. Mm-hmm. You're reading because you're like, ah, oh, books really don't look like this. Hmm. Um, it's very much of the... And this is another Daredevil call it, but do you remember when Scott McDaniel was doing Daredevil in the late nineties and it was very much Scott McCla- uh, Scott McDaniel had looked at Frank Miller's Sin City? Mm. I don't think I that sort of rings half a bell, but I think it has more to do with the fact of I don't think that I saw that. I just remember looking at McDaniel's bat book stuff where it felt like that was also still the case. Yeah, but it was it was much more prominent when he was that doing Daredevil. That makes sense. Yeah, because he he got into like like Miller was in, in Sin City, essentially like removing the lines and trying to only do it in light and shadow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and by the time he came over to Batman, someone was clearly like, "It will help if people can tell what's happening on your pages." <laughs> right. And he was like, "Okay, then I'll 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 add in some more lines." Um. But it, it's Garney's work is feels informed by that, mm-hmm. but not trying to recreate that. And it, it's there's something about it, and especially Mila's colors, that really like you're like this is a weird looking book, but I'm gonna keep reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sewell's what won me over about the Sewell's writing is you get the I may be misremembering maybe a five issue six issue opening storyline, mm-hmm. which is pretty much daredevil by numbers with the exception of like the gimmick is now he's the public uh defender mm. uh but but uh beyond that it still feels pretty daredevil by numbers but then he starts breaking up into like two issue stories one issue stories mm. um and the pace changes the pace picks up and it feels like he is trying to work out his idea of what actually to do with the book after having done like a six issue audition mm-hmm. and it becomes a much more interesting book hmm. as a result and it's it's you know at no point I think is anyone actually going to legitimately say well this is one of the best Daredevil runs ever mm-hmm. but it's it's compulsively readable and when you have Marvel Unlimited that has like you know 30 odd issues right there right they're like sure I'm going to keep reading Right. Are you nuts? Yeah. Let's go. Right. Right. You know, and you get through. and there's something to be said for um like that type of book where it's not reinventing the wheel. You're not like I've blown away every issue. Mm-hmm. Let me take 5 minutes to to think about how this is redefining comics. Mm-hmm. But it's instead just a readable book mm-hmm. that uh in weird ways is Oddly reminiscent of uh, Branky Vaughn's stuff when he was writing for Marvel, hmm. in it's fast paced, but also it is smart enough to know I'm going to build to finish, and hmm. you're going to want to read the, the next issue because of this finish. Hmm. 
you know, mm-hmm. that it's like you do get to, you know, you end up reading for me like 10 issues in an evening. Right. Because you're like, I'll stop after this one. And then you're like, oh, shit, I do want to know what happens next. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. That sounds, so, that sounds good. I, it's, I, I would, you know, I, I, we've talked before about how your tastes are perhaps like shifting away from, from, to be honest, like mid-level Marvel books. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you feel in the mood for a mid-level Marvel book, I think this is one that you'd appreciate, especially because there are lawyer moments in there. Mm. You're like, oh, that's right. You are actually a lawyer. (laughs) You know, like getting uh, Matt Murdock essentially uh, explain the way that like the New York legal system works, Mm -hmm. like just in, in like random captions is fun. And adds to the um, – I don't want to say the realism of the book because, you know, fuck it. He's got radar sense. Right. But but at the same time, it does kind of add to the realism, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a nice enough subtle build that at one point – and I'm not going to explain why, but Matt has to present to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And you've had enough of like Matt as lawyer mm-hmm. that that feels something in and of itself. Like that feels as important as what's happening with the daredevil of it all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, which is which is nice. There's a nice balance between the two. Yeah, that that's very attractive to me. I have to say, you know, uh, yeah. So it, it's it's it, it's one of those things where it's like Jeff, if you do just find yourself with Marvel Unlimited and the desire to read something that is, it's not going to change your life. But but at the same time, like it's it is like very readable, right? Right. And, and smartly so. Like there's the we've we've both talked about this before. There's something to be said for like well-made intelligent trash. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I think Soul Daredevil is that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds that that sounds great. As you know, I've currently have been sort of plowing through the Master of Kung Fu's. Uh, so I'm up to issue 60 something or rather. Is that right? I don't know. It's tough because literally, uh, the thing about Marvel Unlimited for me is for whatever reason, the way that the Wi-Fi in my house works, it's like if I want to make sure that I'm reading things, oh yeah, I'm up to issue 67 shit. Uh, it, it, I have to sort of like download a dozen offline issues, read them, remove them, downline the next dozen issues. Because what will happen is, is I don't know, it's just the, the, the Wi-Fi is persnickety. I should try it now that the apps uh, improved, but it used to be when I was reading contemporaneously, just trying to like, oh, I'll read this. Oh, let me read the next issue and let me read the next issue. Usually, like, I could get about three books in before it, I, it, I used to have that problem and it's much better now but you still occasionally get like a weird hang up around like maybe the 6th or 7th edition or yeah all. yeah and that that's that's actually good to know And it, but like, also I can tell you there's a workaround for that I've discovered oh yeah which is when you get the hang up you go to looking at all the pages at once and generally they all pop up and then you can read it oh nice okay I will keep that in mind that's a that's a great that's a great workaround because I I literally had a situation today where it's like, I'm like, ah, I'm going to read some Master of Kung Fu's before I talk to Graham. I opened the app and for whatever reason, it completely flushed all my offline issues. I was like, Wait, what? Where are you? What I, happened? Had, I have had such a problem with the offline library, like such problems. I just don't do it anymore. Oh, really? It's yeah, usually it, pretty it rock was, solid for me until yeah, this happened. 
always been a problem for me. Interesting. That it just can't like remember what I've done at all. It's like defenders, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, not at all. So remember last time we talked, which was like two weeks ago, and you're like, Jeff, should I read Master of Kung Fu? And I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. I at a certain you point, ultimately came down on yes though I you know and I I have to say like after we a few days after I was reading the run up to issue fifty and I'm like you know I really should put together a little list for Graham to read this stuff because it is it's such a weird mix like part of me is kind of like not sure that you'd be into it because it's almost like the prog rock of comics but at the same time I really feel like you should at least give it a go you know because despite the pretentiousness or the portentiousness there's also a lot of it that's really fun and zips along and despite being like kind of overwritten in some cases is much more closer to today's comics you know and again yeah. I think we talked about I've talked about that in the earlier part of Master of Kung Fu because the stories are told from uh, Shang-Chi's point of view and he uses captions for his narration there's no need for him to have thought balloons and so right off the bat that changes things up a little bit and Glacy really working the Steranko stuff means that you know he really is trying to like throw some some formalistic stuff on the page you know and also there's part of me where it's just like i know it will come off as incredible cheese to you um and it's very distracting to me now but like there's there's an issue with glacy where it's like he's been drawing uh bruce lee Shang-Chi, like Bruce Lee with like a wig on, so like heavily photo references. Then Clive Reston, he starts drawing at using Sean Connery photo references at certain points. And then when you get the character, first there's like Marlena Dietrich popping up in issue 39, and then like four or five issues later, Marlon Brando comes in, and it's kind of like... Can I again remind you how little I like... No, I know. <laughs> and I sort of feel like th this may not change your mind, um, but I think maybe you might not find it as odious, in part because I feel like Galacy is... Uh, it 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 just has that thing of like how do i put it like glacy becomes so much a creature of his tics that it ends up feeling kind of airless you know what i mean and i always assumed that that was part of what you really didn't like about it uh, and it's I, it's de it's definitely part of what I don't like about Galactus. It's 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 amazingly sterile to me. Yeah, and I think this stuff will feel less so. Um, now, some of the reason why it feels less sterile is there's ways in which the anatomy is just like weird. You know what I mean? Or perspective stuff, or like at some point his his buildings are practically you know, Kirby via Coletta-ish, 
But there's also times where he will just suddenly, like, he'll really put a lot of work into the page in a way that makes it feel like a labor of love, I suppose, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of, you know, a a sterile bombardment of technique, I guess, you know. And and the thing that's interesting is, is I remember the issues after he leaves quite fondly and he hits it's the weird this book is so weird like Galassi is more or less like on for like three or four issues then he's got to be off because he just is you know he they've got it they come up with another fill-in issue or whatever you know he was on the main book and then he moves over to the to do the giant size master of kung fu's a few of them then he comes back and he's just all over the map but the thing that's really consistent is here's a guy who is on the book on and off in a way that again feels almost very modern that idea of like oh okay we've got an artist who can't quite handle the workload we're going to give him arcs and doug mench has got his shang chi one-shot issues that can be done by you know uh keith pollard or um you know, Ron friends or whomever and, uh, Ron Wilson. And, uh, there's, there's like a, he, he does this huge run and I swear to God, Graham, his first cover that he does, uh, for master of Kung Fu is issue 51, which is the issue after he leaves the book. So it's we like, he does so many issues and it's like Gil Kane art, you know, or Ernie Chan doing a, yeah, a lot yeah. of the covers. So, very odd very very weird but i also think that oh but the thing is is i'm like yeah but the book still has a lot of momentum and it sort of does and doesn't it kind of really <laughs> the best part of, me, of it was when you said it really has a lot of momentum i knew your next part was going to be and it really doesn't yeah <laughs> i was like this is the classic jeff move yeah it i'm afraid so because i really did i was like oh this is they get jim craig and craig is doing very much like uh off-brand galacy and everyone's just so grateful that that sort of style has so become part of the book and then you get mike zek doing fill-in issues and zek's work is so much more uh uh, crude than i remember it being and it'll be interesting because i think he's just starting to take come in as the full-time artist on the book like i the issue i just finished it was split between craig and zek um and and it really had that thing of like yeah who can say who's doing which page? Because it's all it's all crude, and there's a lot of, I think, um, in the letters pages mentioned mentioned that Galassi had a tendency to ignore um, Mench's pacing, like like he you'll literally see coming up next issue the knife fight that was supposed to be in this issue, you know, sort of things. <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for it because Galassi really does make the stories breathe and when you get someone like Craig in and Munch's over plotting it's the pages are just they're not fun to look at they're they're very dense they don't breathe and and so a lot of that appearance of personality you know even if it's sort of secondhand 
Um, if nothing else, Graham, I think you should read it because at some point the Fleetwood Mac references just go a little high and you're like, whoa, 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 really? Like I, I seem to remember a few Fleetwood Mac references, but this is a little much, you know, so. It's almost like you're trying to say things to make me not want to read this book anymore. <laughs> Are you not a Fleetwood Mac uh, fan, Graham? I, I'm actually not. I'm wow. sorry. Wow. I've That's never gotten into them. Very surprising. Very surprising to me. Huh. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah. So you might, you really might loathe it. But part of me was like, well, maybe if I give him like a dozen issues to read, like he could read them and then be like, well, that was a thing, Jeff. Thank you. You know, or maybe you would actually be like, I can see why you dig them or I even sort of enjoyed them a little bit, you know, but but who knows? We'll have to see, Graham. We'll have to see. But I, I'm I'm still making my way through those, and those really are, even when they get when they do get messy after issue 51, a weird mix of nostalgia, appreciation for uh, Mench's uh, ambition, and just the fact that they're kind of like they're just. You know what? The other thing that I really have to give it up for is the fact that they started off. It's a book that starts off with like two, like there's Shang-Chi and then he's got like maybe two supporting characters and then three supporting characters. And now it's up to five, you know, and that kind of keeps things popping. There's like a soap opera element. There's a genuine very explicit love triangle going on there that is that I'm just like, oh yeah, this this will this this'll do. This'll do for me, you know? <laughs> so I, the one of going back to the, the Friedrich thing from earlier. Yeah. Um one of the things that like doing the 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 obituary forum really made me think was I really want to read like all those old Western comics now. Mm. And I, I don't think I've ever read like Two Gun Kid or, or the original Ghost Rider or or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. I I like the original Ghost Rider, but but again, in part because he was the closest one to a superhero, so there was like shtick. He had a secret identity. Um, you know, the fact that he was faking it with a variety of you know, uh, basically scientific tricks that the the Indians had given him as magic that he was using to fool. Um, you know, ignorant, you know, sort of the Batman of the Old West was fun. Uh, I feel like I read some of his Two Gun Kid or Rawhide Kid stuff. Honestly, it just, it never really lit a fire for me. Even though yeah. I feel like if I went back and looked at it now, part of me is like, I bet I could work up a little more appetite for it because if nothing else some of the artists illustrating the stuff were were pretty well strong. that's just it like i i it the internet rabbit hole as you know mm-hmm. but gil kane did so many covers for those books mm-hmm. well, and can, yeah. you, no but you get like the gil kane covers and you're like oh fuck those look amazing <laughs> right right i i you just know? yeah 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 I do know. I, I part of me is like, you got to be careful. At one point, Gil Kane was Marvel's cover dude. So, well, you know. exactly. Like yeah. he's definitely not doing the book, the interiors. Right. Exactly. But but, he, but the covers look still look great. Do you know what I mean? You're still like, yeah. that book looks exciting. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. The interiors are by like you know, 
Vince Coletta and whoever the Vince Coletta penciling of those days was. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's Ron Wilson and Vince Coletta. Right. But still, like the cover makes you go, I want to see why you know the Rawhide Kid is is been punched and is on the ground and and you know his face is almost in a puddle. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, but then you read the stuff, and some of it is really clean looking, like it's John Severin or uh, I want to say like Dan Atkins or you know, just like guys who are who who didn't feel comfortable doing superhero stuff. But you know, I mean, and that's the weird part is is like part of me is like we always talk about how much you can see how heck Don Heck had chops that just weren't necessarily suited for the superhero stuff, and part of me is like. Yeah, let's see what the hell's going on with his with his western stuff. Even the western stuff that Kirby was doing, like Kirby's got like a weird transition where you don't quite fully see him go full Kirby, you know, um but you know, you see the Kirby that's uh, you know, sort of the post Simon pre Fantastic 4 Kirby, yeah, you know, yeah. at work. And uh and and that that has its pleasures too. So, I don't know. I know what you mean. Um, and I don't know. Maybe do they have that stuff? There's not a lot of it on Marvel Unlimited, uh, but as you know, Marvel's got their little BOGO sale going on, Graham. So you know, you might be able to snag some stuff for super cheap if you were. If you I have, I have purposefully not looked at that sale yet. <laughs> it's funny. I've actually gone and looked at it like three times and being like, I'm. Kind of, I, it's that weird, like, I'm either tapped out or I've, you know, like, I've picked up everything or I've picked up enough of things that it doesn't make any sense. Like, it drives me nuts that... We we, we should say that what we're talking about is Comixology is Marvel buy one, get one free sale that ends on the 6th, which is Wednesday? Yeah. Is it? That's right. uh, no, it might Thursday. actually be it's Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, exactly. So by the time you guys hear this... It's still there. As you know, Amazon is doing a weird variant on it uh, where they're not um, – they don't do – Which is just half one, price, right? Yeah. They, they basically – what they're doing is – I don't even think they're advertising it, but they're dropping their prices. So, you know, a classic, exa- a classic example because I've looked is like there's a new Defenders epic collection and a Marvel 2-in-1 epic collection that are – um, each one is, I think, like $14 at Comixology. So you could buy two and buy them, buy one, get one, and it'd be $14 for the both of them. Or you could pay $9.99 for one of them at Amazon, you know? So it's like, if you actually do buy both of them, it's not as good a deal, but if you only want one book, it's, it's a better deal. It's a yeah. better deal. And there's other stuff, as is usually the case, where Amazon slash Marvel have deeper discounts on more recent books. You know, like the Epic Collections are nine ninety nine, but like, you know, uh, you can get like a regular trade. Like I think I want to say something like the second volume of Black Bolt is somewhere between like three fifty and five fifty at, at at Amazon. So, so there's a lot there, but, but that being said, I just have not had the wherewithal to kind of do the deep dive that would be necessary for me to make it work. And like I said, there's weird things that Marvel two in one epic collection is a great buy 
if you know you weren't like me and you ran off and bought like the, the digital Marvel two in one Marvel Masterworks Volume Two and they they don't even have the volume one. They went straight to the Epic Collection. <laughs> so it's like it's like twenty issues of Marvel two in one plus the pre Marvel two in one issues plus a Marvel team up issue. So it's a great deal for like twenty bucks or again if you want to get that Defenders volume, you know, basically for seven dollars. But for someone who actually has half the material in a different digital volume, I'm like, I just kind of feel like an asshole at that point. So, so I don't know. <laughs> but part of me is like, until we get off the phone and I start digging around and I find the Two Gun Kid archives and I talk myself into picking them up. So, well, I, I was I was going to ask, um, did you ever pick up the Al Ewing? Uh, Ultimates books that I was recommending to you. Yes, yes, I I have them. Have not read them, but yes, okay. I, I have. Them. I was I was going to say like that. Those, those are what I would I would highly recommend. The Black Bolt stuff. Have you read it? The Saladin Element. Black no, Bolt? no, I've got Volume One, uh, like both digitally and in print because of the because it was a book pick for the Comics Experience Graphic Novel Club, and uh, I I still haven't read it. So heard good things. I, I'd be I'd be very curious what you think of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really liked it, and yet I think I liked it in a way that's different from most of the reviews I saw. Mm. And so I yeah, at at some point we should discuss. That sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, do you want to talk about Lex Luthor, Porky Pig, or any of the DC Warner Brother crossovers apart from that? I will I will say this. I honestly didn't realize until maybe Thursday or Friday, because they sent me print editions of all of them this week, uh-huh. um, and I was looking at them all together. It took me that long to go, oh, it's all bad guys. <laughs> You're right. I didn't figure that out either. Right? You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, Lex Luthor, Porky Pig, the Joker, Daffy, Daffy Duck, Harley Quinn, Gossamer, and Catwoman, uh, Sylvester. Catwoman, uh, uh, Sylvester and Tweety. Yeah. yeah. Have you read Catwoman's Sylvester and Tree? No, but one of the panels that I saw from it was like, oh, that's really clever. Maybe I will get that. You know, it's genuinely bonkers. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is either smart or so amazingly dumb right. that it somehow becomes smart by accident. Which which is kind of my sweet spot. For some of this stuff, so that sounds. As a guy it, who it loved the Kentucky has, Fried Chicken comics, you know what I mean. It has the real, has a real genuine problem of uh, the gimmick at the start of the issue is Sylvester meets Catwoman and Tweety Pie meets Black Canary. Mm-hmm. The problem being, Black Canary is introduced so weirdly that it took me maybe four pages to realize it was Black Canary. Wow. Because I was like, it's a blonde woman and she's singing. Who is this supposed to be? Right. And then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> okay, sure, that makes sense. But really, like, before that, I was like, who is this blonde woman? Right. Like, why, why is everyone upset that she sang this song and not another song? Because I keep forgetting that Black Canary, like, was a singer in, in her solo series. Mm-hmm. I, I totally forgot that. And so I was like, what, what, who is, what's this? But then it just goes nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've not read it, so I shouldn't say what the, the, the basic concept is. Cause part of the thing is it's 
it escalates to a point where the escalation is the part where you're like, this is just like. Well, that's I, it. Someone gave gave away the escalation point, and I'd be I would be hard pressed. Like I sort of don't want to repeat that to people, despite it being the point where I was like, oh yeah, this is why I've got to get this. So, uh, so part of me is very tempted. I'm like, eh. I mean, I assume you're talking about spoilers. The idea that essentially it becomes all of DC's bird characters versus all of DC's cat characters. Right? Yes, which is there, great. And, and there's there's reason for this, right? Which is basically Sylvester and Tweety have been uh, cursed? Uh-huh. Question mark. Um, so they both believe that if their side doesn't win, all of the cats and or all of the birds in this universe are going to cease to exist. But that includes all of the cat and bird characters. Wow, right. So they all believe they're actually fighting for their literal survival. <laughs> God. But you have, like, Black Canary then teams up with, like, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Right. Against Wildcat and Catwoman. <laughs> And then Catman shows up. Right. And then, you know, and then Catman and then the Robins, and it's it's right? really exactly. a really funny. At that point, the but, escalation and, was really so and smart. What's funny about it is you don't realize how many of those characters there are until they're all fucking there. Yeah, right. and you're like, there's so many of these characters. <laughs> I, I I literally had no idea. <laughs> uh, and there's one point like. Uh, uh, Black Canary's talking to, to Batgirl mm-hmm. and she's like you count you're one of the birds of prey <laughs> and Batgirl's like that doesn't count she's like no it counts I think that's so yeah that's, that's fun um, Joker Daffy Duck is cute but only cute mm-hmm. and so it's fine um, Harley Quinn and Gossamer is again cute but only cute. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a big fan of any of the characters, you'd probably get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Daffy Duck fan, I kind of wish the Brit Booth hadn't drawn it because if another artist had drawn it, mm-hmm. I think I would have liked it a lot because the gimmick there is basically Daffy ends up visiting the Acme factory to complain, mm-hmm. only to find out the Joker's there, mm-hmm. and the Joker is about to kill him until Daffy's like, "No, I'm your new henchman." Mm-hmm. Your lead henchman, I will organize everything. And Joker's like, sure, why not? And only after he, like, you know, he's cleaned up the Joker's operation, and the Joker's like, okay, but now I kill people. Like, that's what we're going to do. And Daffy's like, shit, I have to stop killing people. How do I do that? Right. And that's a like, that's a fun gimmick. Yeah, but the, but it's just not a particularly attractive comic book. Right. Uh, and honestly, Scott Lobdell, I seem to remember, was once a stand-up comic, but he writes a particularly unfunny comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have, like, so it could have done with, like, more comedy and it could have done with another artist. The Harley Quinn Gossamer one is, is, j- honestly just reminded me that, like, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor write a surprisingly nuanced take on Harley Quinn while simultaneously writing her as broad as, Darede- as uh, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But there's there's like a subtlety inside that, right? That, that really, like, really works, and I really really appreciate. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, what did you think of Lex Luthor, Porky Pig? What? Oh, that's so funny. You talk about all the other books. I thought Lex Luthor and Porky Pig was uh, 
enjoyable, was really enjoyable, uh, very much that sort of Mark Russell kind of like, there's bits and pieces that sort of come, seems out of nowhere and just, you know, amuse me or charm me. I, I thought, I thought, uh, uh, and it's also great slash maybe not great that it, it has a downer ending. Like I'm actually really glad that the backup, which I assume the other ones have as well, yes, you yes, know, you know, the, the a story is the meeting of the characters done in the quote unquote modern DC style. And the backup story is them meeting in a classic Looney Tunes style. And, um, the, basically the stuff about Lex Luthor starting, um, you know, basically starting a social media platform where the people have all essentially everyone who's been so horrible, they've, they, they've gotten kicked off of every other social media platform. Like a lot of, I just thought it was funny. And then it ends up, of course, it's got like a, a really downer ending, which I thought was both satisfying and not like, I kind of felt like it was like, oh, okay, here's where the, you know, it was almost like, oh, here's where the, okay. So this is the second act. Next page should be the third act. And in fact, it's just over. It's, it's the end. Yeah. yeah. It actually, it it's, I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I I think it is appropriately cynical. Yeah. And honestly, the idea of uh, a, a social media site that starts off by sucking up all the people who have been banned by the other ones, yeah, like does not seem far fetched. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. like you're like someone is going to try that sooner rather than later. I mean, honestly, there's that idea of if it wasn't for the fact that no one can you know, seem to kick any of the garbage people off their websites. Like, like part of me is like, yeah, it does. It sort of, it sort of makes sense the way that it happens, the way that it's all put. There's enough stuff that's in there that's plausible that I ended up enjoying it. I think the only thing that's a little problematic, uh, is, uh, well, there's there's the whole subplot of the sandwiches being stolen and that one that was the one part where I, I sort of feel like I really did enjoy it tremendously and the actually the bits and pieces with the other evil scientists being horrible awful you know social I, I, media I people I love that yeah I genuinely love that, yeah, that I, I thought that that was actually fabulous but but I also um yeah, but I also felt like it, I wish that it had it, it just does one it more does pass. just stop. Yeah, it just sort yeah, of it stops. Does, it does just stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 last minute like haha needed to have a resolution. Yeah, because the it 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 feels like you said it feels like it ends on the twist mm-hmm. as opposed to on the end. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely kind of the oh. Second act, here comes the third act. No, apparently not. Okay, then, you know, but it was, it was, it was, it was a good read. I really, I did enjoy it. And there were parts that I, I really did laugh a lot at. Um, 
So, well, good, Graham, because I know this was sort of a book that you were, we were kind of like, from the cover alone, we were like, holy hell, what is this going to be? And Exactly. I didn't, it, it is, honestly, every bit as cynical as I wanted it to be. Yes. I, I appreciated I mean? that's, that yeah, as that's well, That's something too. I really, really appreciate yeah. about it, that it isn't, it doesn't go for the, he's going to be fine because he's Borky Pig. In fact, if anything, it goes too much in the other direction. Well, and that's what I feel. Like, part of me was like, at first I was like, oh, that's satisfying. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, eh, was it? Like, it was a little, it did have, it, have, it had a certain je ne sais, oh, the deadline's in half an hour, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Um, let's see, what else? I've been reading X-Men Grand Design. Uh, you know, the next two issues that came out. Good Lord, those things are dense. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's really a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it's, God bless Ed Piscor for doing it. I think they could be great resources, genuinely great resources for people who are kind of like, so what's the deal with this X-Men, you know? But at the same time, there's you, also... Do you think so? Because I feel it's so Ed Pisker that it isn't. You know... Like, I feel like it doesn't... Act, I don't think it actually works in an introduction to X-Men because instead it feels like an introduction for X-Men fans to Ed Pisker. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe that is more the case. Um, I don't know. I just... I'm sort of... Maybe it was one of those things where it's like, I have a tendency to like put the two issues, like wait till two issues come out and read them sort of side by side, yeah. or, or at least like one on one day, one on the next day, which on the one hand is good for me keeping track of like, oh, right, this is where he left off. But on the other hand, it just particularly toward the end of this second issue, uh, I just found myself being like, this is kind of almost too dense and it's also unfortunately really weirdly for me at areas where I found myself going like um, like you know that weird I was there kind of thing of like that's not how I remember it happening or even a little bit of the wait did he swerve before telling the rest of the story why isn't the rest of that story in that place you know but I think mm -hmm. it's just he's doing as with the first set of issues, he did so much deep diving and covering the stuff that the Claremont back issue, you know, backstories and classic X-Men that ha that I never read that I was like, oh, like, you know, where Claremont would double back and be like, oh, yeah. And Jason Wingard, he actually you can see him back here doing this thing so that when Piscor is talking about it, I'm like, I don't remember that, you know, so. That could that I think it's my memory as an unreliable witness, but I do oh no no he 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 does a lot of of rewriting like yeah. he, uh, okay. that, that, in the first series as well like there there's a lot of he's trying to massage it into something that makes more sense as a single narrative right. as a coherent and, narrative like yeah. and, and there's a lot of like nipping and tucking and and yeah. things that did not happen like that the first time around okay well that's great I was very aware of it this second time around and I was kind of like. That's fine, I guess. You know, well, I mean, I, I think really... all the changes. I think all the changes he makes are are good ones. Yeah, I think like, so too. They all make sense in service of the book. Yes, 
but that it like those changes as much as the art style as much as honestly the hyper compressed nature of sec of yeah. of grand design make me think that they're that's why it's not a good introduction to the x-men right because if you like imagine you read grand design and then you're like i'm ready for x-men comics you read one you'd be like this is nothing well yeah like like what i've read right no i agree i mean it's sort of a little bit of the i don't know it's like a gorgeously cartooned wikipedia entry i guess i don't know you know and i think that that it's 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 someone's fanfic that is just like given amazing production values. Yeah. And so there's bits and pieces that I love about it, but I do have to say like again for me and he he even touches on this I think a little bit in the the most recent issue is I really was aware how much I fell in love with Claremont's X-Men because of the scenes where people where basically where things slow down and they get to breathe. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this hyper compression thing has that feeling of like, oh my god, something's happening all the time. But you know, at the same time, I'm like, yeah. It, but the the issues where very little happens is the stuff that ended up really dragging me in there. You know? Yeah, yeah. And especially in in the like the the Claremont Burn issues in particular, yeah. I feel there were almost whole issues or issues where the majority of the issue is them you know not just lying you know lying back and taking it easy but right. they're uh like in transit somewhere yeah or they've been abandoned somewhere yep. and so the majority of the issue ends up being mm-hmm. let's talk about our feelings yes exactly let's talk about our feelings how are you processing your feelings and this has that I mean it was also kind of that thing of like I really had that deal of like huh so like kind of like arcade never happened huh you know like just other various funny things because I mean there's only really so much you can put in there and there are people that seem well, I mean he's doing like a hundred issues no, absolutely absolutely like and each one like this god each one's like 50 issues or 50 something issues. yeah exactly so it's kind of like not everyone's going to get covered you know but ooh the lolly anyway it's it's an it's really kind of an interesting concoction so yeah there's part of me where i'm like yes this will be great because it can answer those questions but at the same time i don't think that it necessarily captures the appeal at the same time so i don't know so yeah maybe you're right maybe it's actually not not a good thing to hand an x person a uh, a uh, uh, a wannabe x person so mm-hmm. It, it's just a, uh, it's it's an art object in and of itself. Did you see Tom Seoli say that Marvel offered him the chance to do the same thing with the Fantastic Four? No, I did not see that. He, I want to say it was on his Twitter somewhere. Definitely, he basically said that like he he had he had not decided to do it yes or no, but he did share essentially preliminary pages wow. while while he was thinking about it. That would be – it's interesting because, of course, part of me is like, oh, that would be amazing up to a point. You know what yeah, I exactly. mean? Exactly. And then you're like, ooh, maybe not though. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's it, it super interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean there – I don't know. We'll see. I mean part of me – part of what I love about Seoli is just his – you know, he – it it may it's funny it's like I'm like oh right like he is sort of a perfect companion to Piscor in that same way of you know 
uh, a fan and faithful, but also incredibly intelligent and willing to come up on, you know, has a good take for ways to come up with a clear spin on things that can make things interesting. But, but yeah, I can also see where that would, you know, I mean, Seoli is one who, who, whose work I think also benefits from having it breathe in that sense. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. that I would have enjoyed Transformers versus GI Joe half as much if it had been four issues. You know, so yeah. Um, hmm. Although we say that, like, did, uh, did you read his? What was that Cape Carson backup? The Superpowers backup that he did? Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I was, and that was like hyper compressed. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. Well, and and in that sense, the thing that was that I thought was great and hilarious was Seoli like just literally throws out everything but the sort of fanfic scoring of the circle stuff. And then it just yeah. gets beautiful, you know, because, because he's got the entire universe to play with. And I think that might be interesting. I would, I would, you know, Seoli doing, you know, a 12 issue history of the Marvel universe would be st- Dunning to someone like me, but you know him doing the first two hundred issues of the Fantastic Four. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they would let him just have him do the first hundred issues of the FF, and he could do that in four issues or six issues or something. I just don't. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm well, here, sure what yeah, here's what's interesting. I would love to see Sealy do the post Lee and Kirby stuff. I would too, because I think that he like would if, make if you said if you set him loose on the yeah. second mm-hmm. hundred mm-hmm. issues, yep, or like everything from the end of Kirby to the beginning of Burn, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like something right. like that. I'd love to see him try and do something with that. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, because that's the point where I think his um his ability to sort of both think visually but also take visual inspirations from things and extrapolate them out. I think there's a lot of stuff that he could do, particularly because that that whole second issue, second hundred issues has so many every time you turn around there's like a new parallel earth or alternate earth popping up, you know, to to the battle of three worlds point, you know. So or World's War 3, I think. Um yeah, I mean Hell, uh, part of me is just like, let's see more Seoli stuff. Like, he's doing stuff like, I'm doing GoBots. And I'm like, I am not a GoBots person. Like, so part yeah, of me is who like... who is really? Well, that's Like, is that, not, is that not part of the joy? <laughs> like, seeing Seoli... No, honestly, like, no, seeing Seoli no, do, like, mm-hmm. off-brand Transformers that honestly no one gives a shit about? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's totally true. Like, seeing him do that, but him being like, this is a passion project for me. I'm like, really? Okay. Is it? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? Huh? Is, like, it a, is it a passion project for anyone? Really? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, Graham, I can't tell. I feel like we've talked long enough that we should maybe shut shut the things down, yeah? Let's shut this, this shit down. <laughs> uh, we're going to be back next week. With the Baxter building. Uh, issues. I totally can't remember. Right. Are we not back next week? We, 
I'm in New Orleans next week, so maybe we're oh, not. We're back not next back next week. week. Yeah, sorry. We're gonna we're gonna. I, I forgot about that. I 100% forgot about that. In fact, did I even know that? I think I told you. I think I told you. But I, well, I definitely I definitely forgot in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks with the Baxter Building. And sure, sure, that, like sure, that, sure. That gives that gives me more chance to read the books, the Fantastic Four comic. Right. Do you remember the issues? You were just in the process of saying nope. them. I was literally just in the process of saying I don't remember the issues. Oh, okay. But let, let me look it up. I feel like we ch- tackled something play, play much time. smaller. Because we're we're only doing six issues. I, yeah. I just can't remember uh, what they, what's those six issues are. Mm-hmm. Because do you remember last time we did 12 issues and it took us three and a quarter hours? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so we're like, we're, we're not going to do that. Issues, we're doing issues 382 through 388. Beautiful. See? So there you um, go. Anyway, that's, that's in two weeks. Until then, keep yourself occupied with the WaitWatts Tumblr, WaitWattsPods.tumblr.com, the WaitWatt Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash WaitWattPods, the Twitter account at WaitWattPodcast, Jeff's Twitter account at LazyBassett at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D, my Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M, and our Patreon, Jeff. How do you tell the nice people about Patreon? I I would love to tell the nice people about Patreon. Patreon is great. My little canned phrase is, of course, not loading up on my computer. So I'm like, oh man, I'm really gonna sweat this thing through. But that's okay. I've been I feel like I've uh, I've been saying it only for the last you know several hundred episodes. At some point, it's eventually going to sit in for me. Uh, we we love all of our listeners. You guys are great. Uh, the the terrifying dysfunctional relationship that uh, allows you to enable us to enable you to enable us is a wonderful wonderful circuit of giving in life, and uh, we do our best to um to pay back with quality entertainment. Yes, that's what you're gonna say, right? That that it was really close, and then I was like, is that fair to say? So I really appreciate you pushing me through that point because I I might have dawdled. And we're super grateful to uh, all the supporters on Patreon who are kind enough to throw us a little bit of their uh, space dosh in order to to keep us uh, uh, to let us know that we're appreciated, which in turn uh, allows us to feel appreciated, which is wonderful. Uh, we especially would like to thank the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, to whom we are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and this plane of existence. Graham? Both of those things are good things. Yeah. I like this podcast and I like this plane of existence. I'm glad they both exist. Thanks, Patreon. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. It'll be wonderful. We'll be talking about Fantastic Four, but we won't be talking about it so long that I'll have to edit it into two episodes. Because really, that's what counts, everyone. <laughs> Until then... Bye!